Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Episode number 137. But before we get going with the content, I have some killer sponsors for today's episode. If you listen to the podcast, you hopefully realize that I'm a huge fan of mental health. And I am actually extremely fired up to have better help come on board in that regard. So, is there something interfering with your happiness or is it preventing you from achieving your goals? Could be frustration, could be a personal goal, personal struggle. You're going to have to fill in the blank on that one with your individual personal struggle. Better help, what is it? It's going to assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours and it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is a professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which depending on where you live may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you may have to for traditional therapy. Better help. And in case you're curious to exactly what I'm saying, that is better help. H-E-L-P as in Papa is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. It is more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You can visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. Now, if this is something that you are interested in or feel that you need in your life, which I highly recommend. If you have a question about whether or not you need it, give it a go. I highly recommend people take their mental health seriously. You can re- visit betterhelp.com forward slash cleared hot. That's better, H E L P.com forward slash cleared hot and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Listeners of the podcast, you're going to get 10% off. BetterHelp.com slash ClearTod. This episode is also brought to you by Duke Cannon. And those sons of bitches are awesome. Specifically today, I'm going to talk to you about solid cologne. I know, you might be wondering what it is. I was wondering what it is, and then I got some. Duke Cannon Solid Cologne. Packaged in an indestructible, easy-to-transport tin that's perfect for leather, briefcases, or your gym bag. Whatever you're into. I'm not saying you can't have both. They are concentrated cologne balms that melt in your fingertips for precision scent application. That is a thing. You should look into it. So you'll never miss and spray yourself in the eye, which I've actually done, and it doesn't feel awesome. I've also sprayed myself in the mouth, and it didn't taste awesome either. They are made with natural and organic ingredients and formulated in a range of masculine scents. They have you smelling like a day in the great outdoors rather than an evening at a high school dance. Nobody wants that. They're 1.5 ounce tins that last a good long time, even with multiple applications per day. So you don't have to worry about running out. They are $25 each and you have 10 cents to choose from, including bourbon oak barrel, old glory, and special issue which happens to smell like an evening walk through a lush green field after a light rain. I dig these things. 
I've never been a huge cologne fan, but I do like having something like this in my briefcase. Actually, I don't have a briefcase. I should say a laptop bag. That is the most accurate. Why? Because sometimes you can't always hit a shower right after jujitsu. So I highly recommend you check them out. The offer for the podcast, 10% off your entire order at dukecannon.com. When you use the promo code cleared hot, the way I'm looking at it, all capital letters, all one word. Plus, Free shipping on orders over 25 bucks. DukeCannon.com. Promo code cleared hot. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by longtime sponsor on it. Bottom line, this is a website and company designed for total human optimization. You'll know you're in the right place because you're going to see the uh, podcast artwork front and center. And I highly suggest you scroll through the top categories of supplements, nutrition, fitness, apparel, sale, and more in content. If you're interested in the stuff that I use, the landing page right there, Alpha Brain, it's a nootropic for memory focus, processing speed, power food, active protein for your muscles, and a host of micronutrients to support your body. Total gut health. I don't have the best gut health, I think. I always feel better, and I absolutely feel a difference when I take this. It's a digestive enzyme, prebiotics, probiotics, and Baiting HCI. There is a ton of stuff at onit.com forward slash hot. Go check it out. Dial in the big picture first before you spend money on supplements. But when you're ready to go, when you're ready to optimize your performance and your health, onit.com slash hot and go to town. And that is it on the business side of the house. Let's talk about my guest today. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's a tough one for me to describe. My guest today is named Adam Dorito. He reached out to me on email after hearing the Eddie Gallagher podcast that I did. And he has a very interesting background and personal experience inside of the military. Prior to the military, he did some firefighting, EMT, search and rescue. And then he became a member of the Air Force Academy in 2010. Now, the story of what happened to him in 2010 to me is fascinating. And I'm going to stay in touch with him because I want to see how this resolves itself. And I'm going to murder the story if I try to tell it or even in a, in a broad or concise essence. So I'm going to let Adam speak for himself. Episode number 137 with Adam Dorito. Enjoy. Okay, I got the red smoke. Gun run, north and south, west of the smoke, west of the smoke. Okay, copy. West of the smoke. I'm looking at danger close now. Come on, wait a minute. Give it to me. I need it. Get cleared hot. Copy, cleared hot. I don't even know how to start. Either do I, because, you know... So when you reached out to me over email, I'm looking at it, I'm reading the email, and in the back of my head, I'm just kind of... How do you describe the military in general? It's abnormal in many ways. And also completely like uh, uh, everyday life until you start explaining things about the academies. Then you started mentioning, you know, working for the, you know, undercover for the criminal investigation type. I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. This is an interesting story. It's a rabbit hole. And it went down and down and down from there. So I don't know how to start. I'm going to let you start wherever you want to. Major, introduce yourself. Yeah. So my name is Adam Dorito. I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York. I grew up in Jersey. Typical Bruce Springsteen blue collar family. Like my parents raised me right. They raised me on the Eagles and, you know, whatever else classic rock I'm required to listen to in New Jersey. Although I thought you meant the football team and for a second I was gonna well, say well, I, I don't a... <laughs> See, that's why I didn't wear my hat today. Because I am a Giants fan by default, right. because I guess the uh, the last time they won the Super Bowl minus two thousand seven was nineteen eighty seven with Phil Sims. Okay, fair enough. So my parents required me to be a Giants fan. I didn't have an option for it, so uh, it is what it is. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, grew up in a small town, 90 square miles of woods. So most people think of New Jersey and they think of like pharmaceutical factories and, you know, the armpit of New York, so to speak. But I lived in the woods in, uh, in farm country. Um, Which is what most of New York actually is. <laughs> I, for a very yeah, long time, upstate. just yeah. assumed that New York City meant the Empire State Building. Yep. It meant uh, Times Square, which I've been to uh, New York City many times. I love it. Yeah. And then you realize that the entire state is massive. And when people say, oh, New York, they don't actually mean they're from Fifth Avenue. It could be all Precisely. All it's, I mean, the city is a very small portion of New York, and I visit often when I'm at home. Uh, my grandmother, actually, she's 95, God bless her heart, but she has lived in the same house that her father built in 1921. Uh, it's one of the few remaining original houses in Edgewater, New Jersey, and it actually is a mile from the George Washington Bridge. So it's kind of cool because I can still go down there and you could see the city, you could see the bridge, you can do all these things as we were kids. But the amount of change I've seen in, what, 32 years of my life. Yep. Um, it's, Swing that sucker close to your mouth, dude. Keep it's, it close. Uh, yeah. Don't be scared. It's, there you, you know, go. It's, it's been, uh, yeah, you can obviously see my first podcast, right? So Is it the first time ever? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, which is crazy. I to a lot of them. Crazy, given your story. Yeah. So, you know, that's how I found you. You know, I listen to Joe Rogan all the time. And as do a few people, yeah, I've been told. Like, like four or five or something like that. A million. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I started listening to you and I was like, wow, Sandy Stump guy sounds pretty interesting. So, I look up your podcast and I start cycling through who I want to listen to. And I saw Eddie Gallagher's case. And Eddie Gallagher really hit hard with me because although his situation is far different than mine, how he was treated by NCIS, how his chain of command reacted to his situation. It was just like, wow, um, yeah, that sounds rather familiar and how things were handled. And I mean, I should start with the ending first so people really know the okay. rabbit hole we're going to go However down. However you want to describe it. You know, so yeah, I, was a, I went to my dream school. I had wanted to join the military since I was in third grade. This is before I even knew what the academies were. But I love going to air shows in Jersey. I saw fighter jets. I'm like, that's what I want to do. So you wanted to fly. That's all I wanted to do. Okay. So I still want to do. What and, was uh, your preferred airframe? You know you had one. What was it going to be? Oh, F-16s okay. by far. Um, and I was very fortunate to get a few rides in one um, while I was at the academy. We'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> it was a blast. But um, yeah, so 2006, 2010, I went to the Air Force Academy. 30 days after graduation, I was discharged off of active duty with a general discharge under honorable conditions. So general under honorable, okay. Yep. And then I finished another undergrad degree at UC Denver, finished my master's degree in 2015, and found a loophole that I was able to get back into the military. The conditions were I had to go into a special unit, I had to pick a mission-critical MOS, and be, I had to recomplete basic training in the Army. Those were the conditions that I was given by um, the governor's office for the state of Colorado to go back. That seems in and of itself very bizarre. One of the reasons was is because my initial discharge paperwork was signed by the Secretary of the Air Force, and no one wanted to touch that to even attempt to try to get me back in. Your discharge paperwork was signed by the Secretary of the Air Force? Yeah. Way high. That doesn't happen. Mine was signed by a civilian at PSD. Yep. Yeah, the Personnel Support yep. Detachment. I think his name was Bob. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mine was General Schwartz. Okay, so that's atypical in and of itself. Right. And especially with a general discharge under honorable conditions, like this isn't, you know, anything bad. This isn't criminal. Yeah. This isn't, vin you know, highly vindictive. Is there a, so I'm familiar with dishonorable, obviously, mm -hmm. honorable. I know that there's other than honorable. Yep. D does your discharge, is that a subcategory under 
honorable yep. or is it just an honorable it's a general discharge under honorable conditions so it's like fuck that sounds vague in and of itself it's vague but it's like that it's that medium between honorable and then all the other bad ones okay. but you know typical of you know since i had received a few disciplinary pieces of paperwork which we'll get to and that was how they categorized it okay even though i have no criminal record no nothing that's not one that I had actually heard until you said that. Yeah. General under honorable dis, uh, under conditions. Okay. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, back to that. So, I got into the Army and started serving at the Colorado National Guard and found something I really enjoyed doing with the, with the unit that I'm assigned to and still do that now. And I got really lucky. About two years after I got in, uh, we were doing a training in Utah with the battalion, and I met some Apache guys when we were out there. And... Vaguely, ironically, they kind of knew my story, which was weird because I have like this, this like, oh, you're that Dorito guy, right? You're the guy that's been in the news. They're like, you should talk to our commander. So I go and meet with a chief warrant officer uh, who leads that unit out in Utah, and he offered me a position as a chief warrant officer to go fly Apaches. He's like, you want your- That would be bitching. And he said, you want your dream back? He's like, you know, I'll help you get there. He's like, I go- He's like, just go back to your unit, tell them what you want to do, and transfer over to this state. And I go back to my unit, and my unit kind of makes fun of me because I'm like this weird oddity in the unit. They address me as major staff tenant uh, because they're like, well, you technically you should be a major, but you would be a staff sergeant in the NCO world, and you technically were kind of a lieutenant. So we'll just leave you with that. But my battalion commander and my company commander have been massively supportive with this case over the years. At your current command? At my current okay. command. Um, they have been so helpful in everything that I've done more than I've ever been exposed to beforehand. And they signed all my letters of recommendation, did the PT test, got everything good to go, went and passed the uh, SIFT test, which is a requirement in the Army for aviation. It's like an aptitude test for aviation. Okay. Go down to Fort Carson with the active duty guys and go do my final checks to get my orders to go to Chief Warrant, off, uh, Warrant Officer School, Warrant Officer Candidate School, and go to flight school at Fort Rucker. I get to the final station and the doctor goes, <laughs> sorry soldier I can't sign your paperwork off and I'm like why you know he goes there's seven major psychological conditions listed on your medical record and I was like well pump the brakes there bud you know how does that happen because I went through MEPS nothing came up mm -hmm. I've been serving in this certain unit you know and obviously I hold the security clearance of that unit Nothing's yeah, where was he up. getting a hold of your record? I mean, I had my medical record with me. Ah, uh, we're going to get to that, Andy. And I was going to say, because it, what system is he looking into that you don't have the ability to look into? It's fascinating, right? It's, uh, it's a question we still don't have answers to. It's weird that we were I was able to get into the Army and none of this stuff populates. But magically, when I go to get my commission back and go fly, that this stuff magically populates two years after I had already been serving in the Guard. Yeah, because I would assume going through MEPS... Which is, what does that stand for? Military Enlistment uh, Processing Station? Yeah, Military Station. Entrance Processing Station, yeah. Close enough. Um, and We all went through it. But yeah, they're, they're doing a review. They do a background check. Yeah. Um, and you do the duck walk. They, they will find things if there's something on you. Yeah. And nothing came up in there, which is what we found odd. Um, so at the end of the day, it's, according to the records shown, I shouldn't even be in the military. But so when you got discharged, didn't you leave with your service record and medical record? Nope. They wouldn't give them to you. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, Fuck me, man. It's very weird. Okay. Um, but when you're 22 years old and you're just doing what you're told and you have no idea what's going on, I didn't know any better. Yeah, it's tough. I was just like, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. 
And I'd imagine you probably, and again, without knowing the story yet, didn't have many people you could bounce off of what was going on. Hey, does this sound reasonable? Zero. Yeah. Zero is probably the right answer to that. So you're isolated with a lack of information. Okay. That, that paints yeah. a little bit of a, a picture for me. Um, and it begs the question of how did we get here in the first place? Right. And, um, and you got a full dossier. Holy shit, well, dude. That's some a perfect mind shit right there. Well, this is actually this is <laughs> yeah, this is actually ten years condensed into a timeline that makes sense for people. Okay. Um I have ten file boxes that this came from. Wow. And a lot of interviews and people that we've done over the years. Okay. Um fire away. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I joined the military because I've always wanted to join the military. And I think I have a unique situation where when 9-11 happened, I was in eighth grade history class. And at first we thought it was a joke. You know, like, oh, plane hit the building. Oh, you probably were in school, right? East Coast yeah. time? Oh, yep. yep. I, I was there. I mean, not there physically, but I mean, 40 miles northwest yep. of the city. And, you know, they hear about it. And uh, my school was interesting because they shut all the TVs off. You know, they didn't hmm. play anything. So we didn't know what really had happened until I got home. And I get off the school bus, I'm like, man, who took a Cessna and hit the World Trade Center? Man, that must have made a mess. You know, I'm a, I'm in eighth grade. I don't know any better. And I walk down, and the streets are quiet. There's no cars driving around. And I lived in a small lake, Woodland community. And a lot of the people from my hometown worked in the city, too. You know, so it's weird. Normally, after school time, parents are out, cars yeah. are everywhere. I have no idea what's going on. So I walk into my house, and I just, just see... Just eerily quiet. Really weird. Yeah. And, uh get back to my house my sisters are already home they were younger they're younger than me and uh take my headphones off i was listening to like some really cool like cd player with like those 10 second skip things on it you yep. know like you gotta change the batteries every five minutes <laughs> <laughs> and, and i get up there my mom's bawling her eyes out staring at the tv and my they're sitting in a chair like four inches away from the screen just sat there and watching it and i can see because this is what two in the afternoon i was just gonna say i bet you was on the perpetual on repeat cycle it was on loop and yep. all you're just watching is the towers fall over and over and the hard part was is that uh one of my cousins or my on my dad's side worked for Cander fitzgerald on the 101st floor of tower one and my mom's brother worked in uh, one of the buildings right across the street from the trade center and there's no communication with them yeah and their phone cell phone towers are dead and or overloaded, really, probably to say the least. Well, they disabled everything in our area. Um, the government shut everything off. You could hear fighter jets ripping over my house, going towards the city. Uh, there's no air traffic in the air, but all of communication lines were shut down um, because they were just they didn't know what was going on. No, yeah. Nobody knew what was going on. And the next three days later, we ended up able to go down to my grandmother's house because she lives right across the street from well, across the river from the city. And you could see the giant burning, billowing smoke still coming from Manhattan Island. Uh, it's We're not far away, maybe like two miles as the crow flies. And there's military helicopters flying up and down the Hudson River. And there's jets ripping up and down, Harriers everywhere, you know, F-16s, 15s. And uh, all of the signs going to George Washington Bridge, you know, entrances are closed. I've, that's never been seen before, you know. And it just was like, wow. You know, and I would never wish for another 9-11, but I will always hope that this country could see another 9-12 because I have never seen more people in this country united Same. than at that point. It didn't matter who you were, where you were from, race, race, religion, creed, background. Everyone just wanted to go into the city and help. We had our volunteer fire department in our hometown, like 
whatever 40 50 miles away it was they were packing up trucks and driving them to the city just to bring in help everywhere it didn't in cities across the u.s i mean i was living in san diego at the time and there's a bunch of overpasses on the freeways the five and the 15 the 163 Mm -hmm. the eight and they were like covered in like red white and blue flags everywhere it was the most cohesive that i can remember in that time period 9 12 to probably 9 19 maybe yeah. 9 25 and then mm-hmm. it it tapered right it rounded and people started to go back to normal I mean, probably was harder to do so in new york but for that short period of time it was amazing yeah it was i mean the amount of patriotism was unseen and still i mean i haven't really seen that level of i haven't either since you know and i didn't i wasn't a boy scout or anything like that but there's something called the civil air patrol and i had joined that when i was 12 years old and it's like the auxiliary civilian auxiliary of the air force and you know you wear bdus and you learn how to march and you learn all this stuff and they actually offer a bunch of uh, fun schools you can go to the one i thought i really liked was a uh, hawk mountain ranger school in pennsylvania and it's a search and rescue school because they do most of the inland search and rescue missions uh for the air force which i wasn't aware of until i joined and it's basically a cheap way of the Air Force getting civilians to do their job for them unless they need extra assets like helicopters or something, which are obviously expensive. Yeah. So you go to the school and you start learning like how to pack a rucksack, how to hike in military combat boots, you know, how to skin a rabbit, how to start fires. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of the instructors at that school were like former pararescue guys, former rangers who joined the Civil Air Patrol with their kids. And like now they're just like they can beat teenagers into the ground. Yeah. And they beat us into the ground, man. I mean, they it's also known as a power trip. Yeah, but you, I didn't know any better. I, I was like, I'm gonna take. You know who this. did? They did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're freezing. You're, you know, and it's not like we had high speed stuff. You have all this like LC2 gear from like yeah. the 90s and Nam, and you're rec- probably more from Nam than yeah. the 90s. Yeah. And you're just hiking around in the woods in Pennsylvania with like crappy Ultima all leather combat boots, you know. And uh, I actually blisters. support that. I'm all for that. I mean, again, as long as they don't get absolutely out of control like there's a lot of growth that can come from young for young men and young women experiencing that type of stuff to be honest it was a it's something if when i have kids i want them to go to yeah because to this day that place has not changed um (laughs) i bet it has i i still talk to a lot of the guys who i went to rangers or silver patrol hawk mountain ranger school with and uh they're like man it's just it, it builds character because kids don't get a lot of exposure like that when do you get to go out in the woods with a pocket knife and go kill your own food and eat it you know, at very four, few. 14, 15 years old. Yeah, very few people and they would, say they've done that. They would bring in medevac helicopters. We learned how to pack stoke baskets. Uh, I got certified at 15 years old to do high angle rescue with the Pennsylvania State Fire Department you know, That's certification awesome. program out there. So I'm doing figure eights, jumping off cliffs, packing stoke baskets, you know, ruck marching. I'm like, this is a good way to prepare myself for the real military. Yeah. You know, and uh, and shortly after that, my aunt got killed in a really bad car accident. And my little cousin was in the back seat when a tree fell out of the woods, driving down some road in New Jersey, and they just got hit by a tree. Are you serious? Randomly. Like, talk about worst timing ever. Fuck. So it killed her instantly, and uh, my cousin, who's in the rear seat, didn't die immediately. And that was really hard on my family. And to this day, my, it's still really hard on my mom, because it was her sister. Yeah. And that's when I'm like, I need to expand how I can serve my local community more. And that's when I got inspired to join the fire department and go to EMT school. And this is all when I'm in high school at the time. So uh, I joined the local fire department at 16. You can be a firefighter, junior firefighter at 16 in my in my hometown. Huh. And I started EMT school at the same time. I didn't even know you could go to EMT school at that age. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can. You can be. You can get your license by 17. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and the the really unique position about where I lived in New Jersey is everyone loves to drive into trees. I mean, we have really long winding roads, uh, lots of car accidents, lots of extrication, lots of house fires from old, you know, lots of fuel around these houses in the woods, right? Yeah. And I didn't know any better, but man, I got exposed to house fires, extrication, uh, car accidents, and I'm 16, 17, 18 years old going into, you know, my later years in high school, and I've already done severe trauma treating on, in these cases. So I felt good about what I was doing. I felt like I was really participating in my community, and I was, I think I was kind of smart in high school, but I'm like, man, to get into the academy, you have to have like this well-rounded, you know, aptitude. And I'm like, I think my community service will help balance out my, I didn't have a 4.0, but I had like a 3.6. I'm like, ah, we're close. 3.6 with some pretty serious life experience and skills. Yeah. And this is all before I'm even like 18, Yeah, you know? And, uh, I thought that that was a really good way of doing that. And my friends always made fun of me because they're just like, (laughs) you know, not gonna lie like back then they were drinking beers and smoking some weed and i'm like i was terrified of that stuff because i'm like if i do that i'm not going to get into the academy you know cops are always arresting kids in our town and you know messing with them and it is what it is so i earned the nickname like designated dorito because i had the blue lights in my car and on my truck at the time and they were like if anything bad happens we just call dorito and he comes and bails us out and i'll never forget there was this one party at a camp and uh i get a phone call like, hey, you need to come down here. Uh, Zach got hurt. There was a fight. And I'm like, what? And it's like, we don't want to call the cops or whatever. And I get down there. And, you know, it's like your typical height. You know, it's like American pie. There's like, there's people running everywhere and like beer cans all over the place. And I'm like, oh. Boy. There's young people having their first drinking experiences. Uh, <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm down there and I turn the lights on my truck and everyone just scatters like roaches into the woods because they think I'm the police. And I'm like, no. And I get there and there's this kid like unconscious on the ground. And he's not breathing. And I just, your training kicks in. I just yeah. grab, I always carried, in my town, you always carried your trauma bag in your in your vehicle. So in case it was faster for you to get there and meet the ambulance there, that's how we would split up on pagers and radios because our town was so large. So I just grabbed my bag and- Went to work. Go to work. And this kid, whoever he got in a fight with, he got hit in the face with like a golf club and it split his face open from like here to here. And then they- I don't know who it was, but they stuffed his throat full of dirt and, like, tried to suffocate him. You think they were trying to suffocate him or stop the bleeding? Well, I don't know. Having dirt shoved down your throat, I would say, I don't think they were trying to stop the bleeding. That's a weird move. Yeah, I don't... I wasn't there. So, all I know is that's what I saw. That's what... And, yeah, that's going to stop you from breathing, for sure. So, uh, I cleared out his airway, did... Gave him a couple breaths, resuscitated him. He came back within about a minute and uh, starts coughing, and his blood starts pouring out of his face. And I just, they're like, Dorito, fix his face. And I'm like, Pfft. I mean, I learned about sutures, but I've never had to give sutures. Yeah, put a bandage on there, so, get him to a higher level of care. So I pulled the suture kit out of my bag, and I put his face back together as best I could, and we got him to the hospital. Uh, and to this day, he's like, dude, you, like, saved my life. Like, we are at our 10-year high school reunion. Accurate. Yeah, and he, I'm like, yeah, it was, just, it was cool. Like, I'm glad you're here. Fuck, <laughs> you know? Man. And, uh and so that was my first like major trauma incident I saw. And then, and then I had my first suicide, you know, and that was weird. And you're 18 years old and I get called to a person who fell in the shower and I get up to the house and uh, I just told my, my partners, Hey, grab the ambulance. I'll meet you there. Cause I'm closer. And I go into the house and uh, you know, it was this elderly woman and she had fallen in the shower and her daughter had called. And I, I think she was just too scared to go downstairs and see what happened. You know, her mom was on hospice at the time and okay. everything else. And, 
I go down there and just start doing CPR, you know, but that, that was like my first experience with like dead body by yourself. Yeah. Everyone staring at you, you know, please save grandma. And you know, my partners get there and I'm just, you know, you're breaking ribs at that point doing CPR, you know, and when you, when you're actually doing CPR, you're just breaking ribs on a dead body, unfortunately. And I couldn't do anything and it kind of hit me hard and it just made me realize that you can't save everybody, you know, and I got my appointment later to the Air Force Academy and I was like, I just want to get as far away from my hometown as possible. And uh, I got appointed to West Point, Annapolis, you know, all the schools I wanted to go to. And I was like, I just want to go to Colorado. I love skiing. I heard the skiing is better out there anyway. Better than in Annapolis, to my understanding. Yeah, I don't think they have a lot of mountains near the ocean. I don't think they have any. <laughs> um, and I live pretty close to West Point, too. Um, swing the mic over towards your mouth a little bit. Sorry. More. Just swing it this way. There yeah. you go. Talk into the mic. There you go. Yeah, You're and uh, it now. You know, I, pre- I live pretty close to West Point, but I was like, oh, I just want to go far away. I just want new friends, new life. Yeah. Start over. So I go out to the Air Force Academy, and we call it our dually year, and you start basic training. And dually? Yeah. So when you're- Like a, f- a truck dually? So like, uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it's like D-O-O-L-I-E. Why do these schools have to have stupid S- fucked up, like plebe S- summer or all that yeah. stuff? Yeah. So like they have plebe, or sometimes they call them like smacks. I don't know. It's some arbitrary yeah. acronym that of course I it don't is. understand. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm just- Steeped in tradition and nonsense. Yeah, I'm just going to sit down and let you call me whatever you want to. Yeah. Copy that, sir. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the first thing you notice is uh, the air is really thin up there, and it takes a while to acclimate. So, Colorado Springs, right? Yep. Yeah. So far, far that above of West Point or Annapolis, and also far, far above my hometown. <laughs> so and I think we're at 700 feet sea level, above sea level in my hometown, and we're at like you know 5,700 or whatever it is. Fuck, if not higher. Yeah. Um, so they, they're running you every day. They, they walk you into it, you know, because a lot of kids are hypoxic. They feel, you know, they're gasping for air when they're running and you, you adapt to it. And uh, basic training was good. You know, I mean, it was pretty standard. You know, you go through, you get yelled at. And it was kind of interesting because back then we were still wearing BDUs. So you what were- What pattern though? Uh, uh, woodland. Okay. Yeah. So- You hadn't gone digital yet? No, no. That was actually <laughs> after I graduated. Okay. Um. We were one that we were the second to last class that had BDUs. 2011 had BDUs too. Um, but yeah, so we spent a lot of our time shining boots and using starch and making creases and yep. learning how to do all those fun military things. I honestly don't know like how they do it now because it's like, well, we don't shine boots, we don't wear uniforms anymore. So what do we do with all this time? <laughs> you know, I, I, I obviously they find other mundane tasks. Yeah, I, I experienced that uh, later on. Obviously, when I went back with the army, I was like, wow. So this is what we do now. This is interesting and fascinating. And, uh, you know, so your freshman year, you can't go anywhere. You don't have a car. You, you can't wear civilian clothes. For the entire year. For the entire year until recognition. Recognition is just like a three-day fest of you just getting beat with push-ups and just running stairs and whatever the upperclassmen want to do to you. And a then, rite of passage, if you yeah. will. Yeah. yeah, rite of passage. <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar with those. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then, you do, and then after your freshman year, you get assigned to your permanent cadet squadron. So I was in cadet squadron 25 my freshman year, and I moved to squadron 18, which was across the Terrazzo, which is that area between the two dormitories. Okay. I am not familiar yeah, with the Air yeah. Force Academy at all. Yeah, so there's two dormitories, cadet dormitories. There's Sijon, the chapel, and then there's Vandenberg. And then school, like the... Just a ma- massive ma- school building? Yep, yep, and then you had your uh, your chow hall over okay. at Mitchell Hall. So I went from I went from Saigon to Vandenberg, 
so a quarter mile move or whatever it was to get over there. And and the first thing they tell us is like, welcome sophomores, you know, <laughs> welcome to hell. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I'm an upperclassman now, so you kind of have a little bit more freedoms as a sophomore, but you're still bottom of the barrel, right? It's like you're a freshman with privileges. <laughs> and uh, the interesting thing about the academy is you get different AOCs from different service branches that will go there. What's and, an AOC? So an AOC is an air officer commanding. So it's like okay. the commanding officer of the cadet squadron. Okay. And there's 40 of them. There's 40 cadet squadrons. So there's 40. Gotcha. Each one has their own AOC. All right. Yep. And that would be like the cadet wing. Right? Okay. So like squadrons one through 10 is group one. Group two is, you know, 11, 11 through 20. 20. Yep. yep. And vice versa and so on and so on. So I, squadron 18 at the time was under the command of an army officer. And... I remember my first day in that squadron, I like have my cart with like my, my cadet trunk full of my effects and I round the corner and I just hear yelling and screaming <laughs> and I see this army guy knife handing everyone down the hallway and everyone's standing out there in service dress, including the senior cadets, senior cadets, the juniors, the sophomores and the freshmen. So he's just getting in all sorts of ass. Oh yeah. And I'm like, oh no. I'm like, man, <laughs> I'm just like, man, I just finished. Not again. I just finished freshman year. Like why? And I'm just like, all right, whatever. I guess this is how it's going to be. Cause everyone's like, oh man, I just want like a cool air force officer who just like wants to hang out and like help the cadets and just leaves us alone. So we have one of those military inspections, you know, in, in the first quarter of the school year you know you're familiar with those but where you have like that one pair of underwear that you never wear that's like perfectly starched and creased yep. seven inches and in, in your t-shirt it's like that drawer in your room you never touch intentionally yeah and then every other drawer has a bunch of shit crammed into it and Correct. into your laundry bag to hide all the other stuff you just didn't feel like folding and you also don't want to go do laundry because it's like seven stories down and you're just going to get yelled at so you just save it for like three weeks later when no one's around yeah and uh so we get into this is like before smartphones right and before like real social media like facebook was kind of a thing back in 2007 and 8 but not really and we kind of get into like an arbitrary meme more within our class so you're sending out you know like velociraptor memes or those old school memes that like no one even knows what they are anymore and uh it was a clogging up the, everyone's inboxes because everyone's hitting like reply all like on purpose so our commander just gets infuriated because all these people are getting mad at us so, so you're describing an email war yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just don't know if people know what email wars are anymore because I mean, I don't even know what they are, but what you're describing sounds like a pain in the ass. Yeah. It's just a lot of people sitting at their computers holding down their delete button for like an hour straight because they have like a 3,000 emails in their inbox. And basically, you shut down the Air Force interwebs Perfect. because everyone's right. overloading it. I can support that. So I can understand why people are getting pissed. And yeah. What? You're 19? Like, whatever. This With is, limited ability to fight back in any way. This is your source of fun. Yeah. When you're a cadet. Like, this is how we have fun. And so our command, I was supposed to go to Arizona that weekend. Uh, you know, you finish the inspection, you guys pass, you guys have a pass for the weekend. And I was going to- Oh, liberty. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> thought that and that was smited away. So he goes, well, all you people that were involved in this email war, oh, fuck. he's like, you're all restricted. Damn it. All right. And I was supposed to go to Arizona. I'm like, come on, sir. Like, I'm f getting an airplane. I'm broke. This is like all the money I had for the month. And I was going to see my mom and my sisters, my dad, uh, who were in Arizona at the time. My dad's family, a lot of them live in Arizona. And uh, he's like, nope, you're not going anywhere. I'm like, obviously, I was like really disappointed. Like, what am I going to do? Well, I guess I'll just sit in my room and stare at a book and do homework because that sounds fun. 
So uh, some of, some of the people were allowed to leave, like some of the upperclassmen, and the rest of us are just moping around like life sucks. This is what being a cadet's all about. Yeah. And I get a knock on my door, and it's the major, and he goes, "Dorito, come to my office." Roger, that's her. Sit down. Okay. He goes, "You want to leave this weekend?" I was like, "Yes, sir, I would." He's like, "Well, you're not going to Arizona." He's like, "Why don't you come over to my house for dinner?" What? This is the army guy. The guy who was yelling and screaming, having everyone in service just throwing stuff down the hallway, restricting everybody. The guy that all the cadets in my cadet squadron didn't like. Okay. Or at least that was the impression that I got because that's what was instilled in me when I first got there. And I kind of had that Machiavellian, you know, attitude towards it. Well, keep your friends close and your enemies closer, right? I'll take him up on his offer. Uh, He drives me to his house because I don't have a car. And I sat down with his wife and him. <laughs> we have a fantastic dinner. I haven't eaten that good probably like almost a year and a half at that point. Yeah, you had an other than Air Force other Academy than meal. other than a Chow Hall <laughs> meal or Qdoba burrito, which you occasionally were able to get off base, which is that's a fine burrito. It was a Let's fine. Let's be careful burrito. what we talk about Qdoba. There's nothing wrong with Qdoba. <laughs> I think I if I bought stock in Qdoba back then, I'd be a rich man today. Yeah, I spent all my money on burritos though. Yeah, yeah, that's all you could get. I mean, this is before like you know food delivery and stuff too. Yeah. Like so, we're not talking Uber Eats and DoorDash. No, that wasn't a thing back then. Yep. So we sit down, and I knew nothing about army uniforms back then. Like, I didn't understand school badges. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand tabs. I was like, dude with fancy Velcro and the old ACU pattern, right? And I did not know that he was a, basically the equivalent to an AOC at West Point. They're called TAC officers there. Okay. For three years before he was selected to come to the Air Force Academy. So this guy had been a cadet commander at West Point for three years before he was hand-selected to come to the Air Force Academy as the Army Liaison Officer. It seems like a weird career path. It is. And it what, seems like you would go from West Point back to an operational or joint So he, billet. yeah, so, and what I found out was is that he had been in like three combat tours between Iraq and Afghanistan, and he was, he was combat injured, he was combat wounded. Okay. So he kind of like took his West Point time as a, like a recovery period, you know. Okay, fair. And he tried to go back to a deployment schedule, and the doctor's like, you're not going anywhere. Oh, so he may not have had a choice in his career right. path beyond that. Okay, I understand that. Um, infantry guy, military police, whole nine yards. I mean, and my level of respect for him completely changed because I saw the other side of him. And he sat me down and goes, Dorito, do you notice how, you know, yeah, we gave you letters of reprimand for an email war, like all you guys, right? He goes, but... Did I do anything besides basically give you some so-called wall-to-wall counseling? Well, no. Did I do anything other than chew your ass, tell you to be a better cadet so you can be a better officer? No. So then fucking figure it out. I was like, Roger that, sir. He's like, oh, and by the way, you have extra staff duty next weekend. Fuck. (laughs) He goes, and I'm sitting there, and we were like talking to each other, so I'm sitting at the staff duty desk. Like, and his office is right next to me. Dorito, MT do, stat. I'm like, yeah, Roger that, sir. He goes, and how's your day going? Uh, that's great, sir. He's like, finish your homework? Yep. All right, cool. You still thinking about what we talked about last weekend? Yep. He's like, you're going to fuck up anymore? I'm like, going to try not to. He's like, good. And I uh, didn't realize the value of that leadership experience because I realized is that you can really make an impact on your subordinates 
without ruining their lives with paperwork. And I didn't understand that until our next commander came. You know, this guy was his time to leave, time to leave the Air Force Academy, time to go somewhere else. And this new Air Force commander comes in. Non-combat guy, you know, non-combat MOS. Still in your sophomore year? Yeah. So transitioning into our almost our junior year at this point. And uh, he comes in and he's one of those by the book. Well, the book says you should get this, so I'm just going to give you that. Without any, uh, it would appear at the time, any critical thinking of how to apply that punishment. You know, the cadet site picture in the UCMJ says, you did this, so you're going to get this punishment. So you're just getting stacks of paperwork. Like, oh, you didn't tie your shoes right. Well, you know, you failed to follow military uniform protocol, and you're going to have an extra 20 hours sitting in your room this weekend. Like, what? <laughs> Keep in mind, when you're a cadet, you are massively overloaded with work. I mean, you're taking six to seven classes at a time per semester. I mean, you're just praying to God you pass <laughs> your class to make it onto the next semester because if you fail, you go on ACPRO, you know, and then they might kick you out. So yeah. on top of completing that and your military duties, and I played rugby at the academy and doing practice and getting back to your room at 7 to 8 o'clock at night, doing homework till midnight, and then getting up at 4 a.m., I'd go do pool work and work out in the morning before class starts. So, I mean... You're working on constant sleep deprivation and you're just addicted to caffeine at that point. And uh, so I get, a, I get a really weird knock on my door. <laughs> like it was like slow. I'm like, okay. It's, uh, it's, our, it's our new Air Force officer. And he goes, hey, you need to go to Air Force OSI's office. I'm like, what? Like I didn't really know what Air Force OSI was. They're what like, is OSI? So OSI is Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Basically, is that similar to NCIS? NCIS. Okay, so the Air Force CID. version of NCIS. NCID is Army, correct? Yep, CID okay. is Army. Um, okay. So I get a ride down there, and I go meet with them, and these two agents walk in, Agent Munson and Agent Szymanski. And they sit me down, and I'm like in the mirrored room, like, <laughs> here's a steel chair, and here's, here's the mirrored wall. And I'm like, what, 19? Okay, cool. And they go, so you, you're all like online dating websites, right? I'm like, yeah. And to be honest, like most cadets back then, like use online dating websites because you can't leave base, you can't go anywhere. What's, um, what's the difference now? Most people are well, using tin- apps. Tinder That's what I'm is saying. way easier. Well, what's, it's still an online via your right. phone. I mean, so back then it was uh, all email, which is, you know, how we communicate I'm with people. I'm so glad I missed this phase. I did not participate in any of that shit. I, yeah, I envy you <laughs> on fun. that. And, uh, you know, to be honest, like, I didn't have a car. We couldn't leave. Most of the sophomores in the lower class, everyone, like, was on random online dating websites that don't even exist anymore. Like, they're not even things anymore, right? So, and they, they start asking me about, well, is this your civilian email address? Because, obviously, you'd, you'd use your civilian email to communicate on this. And you wouldn't use, like, your dot .mil <laughs> military address to like I feel like I know a few people who would but most people would think better of that yeah and it was kind of weird because I'm like well how the heck did they okay yeah like I sent those emails and yes I was talking to this person on this email so they were already they were in your system they were looking at your emails and monitoring your sure the traffic yep sure that's what and that's what it said and like well did you say these things and I'm like well obviously it's written there you know whatever I'm gonna say to some person I've never met online right yeah and uh and then they asked me this really weird question. Well, did you know that this person was underage? And I'm like, stop. What? And they're like, well, yeah, well, this email address is, this person was underage. You didn't know that? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was just like, lawyer. Yeah. Lawyer. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I want a lawyer. And they're like, no, 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 you don't need a lawyer. Famous fucking last words. And like, you don't need a lawyer. And I'm like, okay. 
And they're like, okay, so you didn't know. Yeah, they're like, well, well, we got a report from my Colorado Springs Police Department that this person you were talking to could have been underage and, you know, we were sent your email address and we just wanted to make sure. And I'm like, okay. Now, here's the weird thing. I was never questioned by any civilian agency. To be clear, everything you've just described up to this point is very weird. Yes, it is. And it doesn't make any sense. And to be honest, we, we, we do have investigators right now working on this because we have never been able to prove if it actually happened. If they were contacted by anybody on the outside? Yeah. Or if this person existed or if OSI was doing this on their own. Okay. And the reason I say that is because right after that conversation, nothing happened. They're like, oh, you didn't know? You never met this person in person? Nope. You just talked to my email. Yep. That's evident. I mean, you can't, I can't get off base. You know, uh, we had a flip phones back then and you could type like a hundred and what, 40 characters. Yeah. You know, that's, that was the extent of my technology use back then. And they go, cool, man, no problem. We'll let everybody know. You're good to go. You're cleared. I'm like, okay. And they go, oh, wait, by the way, do you know anyone else who's might be doing illegal things at the academy? Did they read you your rights when you went in that room? Nope. Nothing. No rights read to me. No, nothing. It was very informal and very, yeah. and very, and keep in mind, this was my first experience with any law enforcement agency, if you want to call them that. Yeah. And uh, I had no idea what was going on. I was 19. <laughs> like, granted, yeah, I know a lot of 19 year olds who do dumb things. And if that was the extent of my stupidity back then, talking on an online dating site to someone I didn't know, sue me, you know, but it is what it is. So, like I said, nothing happens. And, uh, and they go, but we're trying to find some people at the academy. Apparently, they had problems with prescription drugs going missing. There was a problem with sexual assault, rape. And they were like, you know, if you could just be our ear, you know, it would help us out. So I was being told without being told, like, you're going to work for us now. And that's how I became an undercover informant at OSI. And I did discover a lot of weird things at the academy, uh, a lot of prescription drug cases. Uh, a lot of those came from cadets in the, we have a jump program at the academy. So yep. kids blow their knees out all the time. And, you know, painkillers go missing when you leave them on your cadet desk because cadets walk by and take them. And that's what it is. And the Air Force Academy was going through some hard times with sexual assault and everything else at the time. And I didn't really know much of it, but all right, it's the end of my sophomore year. I wrote, basically what I would do is I'd have these, uh, email addresses that they would give me and we'd go on Craigslist and try to find cadets soliciting for selves for sex online. And Why wouldn't they just do that themselves? Yeah, here's the weird thing is that I'm like, so I get called in for, you know, online dating. Okay. But now you're having me go after cadets who were like doing criminal things and then just forwarding UIP addresses. And then they would go after them after that. It was much easier to have somebody on the inside to get cadets to talk. Then it has an agent getting someone to get called in. I guess I could see you. that, but they could just see the, you know what I mean? They could see the information clear as day on Craigslist. Sure. Know, as opposed to you finding it and then forwarding them what you saw so then they could see it and then trace it backwards. Yeah, and 10 years later, I agree with you. It's easy to see things that way. But yeah. when you're 19, you're being told by some federal agents to go start taking down cadets within your own squadron, your own group, your own wing. How many people do you think they had doing that? I know of at least four. Now. In your class? Not my class, but collectively throughout the years at the academy. I know there's more. Um, a lot of them won't talk. Yeah. Um, did you, I mean, so what's the, what was the benefit for you doing that? Why did? Well, they said, 
well, you know, we'll just we'll just make this little thing, you know, get scrubbed away from your record. I'm like, well, I didn't do anything. So here's another odd thing. I get back from that from that interview, and my commander hands me an LOR for misuse of government network, letter of reprimand. I'm like, it's like, well, you used the internet for online dating, and that's what Air Force OSI said. I'm like, yeah. Okay, so I accept this letter of reprimand for misuse of government network. Got it. Yes, sir. Move on. Like, not trying to be confrontational with our commander. You know, like I said, he's a paperwork guy. Yeah, probably a good call. The Air Force says, I need to give you this, so I'm going to give you this. Got it. And it was at that time, I'm like, all right, getting ready for summer period. So it's my first year being like cadet cadre. So you're going into your junior year from your sophomore year, so mm-hmm. you get to come in with the basic cadets. But before that you get to go on something called Ops Air Force. And Ops Air Force is when you get to deploy to an active unit in the Air Force, and you get to hang out with them for a few weeks and like do big Air Force things. It's like midshipman cruises at the academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically. So I got assigned to the 85th Teton Evaluation Squadron at Eglin Air Force Base, which is all 16s. And I go down there, and it was like, rock and roll, bro. Get in the back seat, let's go. And I'm like, what? And so we're- Fucking jackpot. It was <laughs> it was fucking awesome. I mean, like, you're, we're pulling Gs, we're doing air-to-air maneuvers, we're doing casts, you know, we're dropping inner bombs, we're shooting the fake A-9s, we're doing the laser lock-ons, and I'm in the back, he's like, hey, you want to fly? I'm like, do I want, yeah. He's like- No, I don't want to. <laughs> and the fun thing about it, and I, it was some crazy major, obviously the guy's got like over two, 3,000 hours in this jet. I didn't know how touchy those things were. You know, you play those flight simulators when you're a kid, and you're like, oh, yeah, cool, Microsoft yeah, flight you, simulator. You don't want to do that on an actual fly-by-wire aircraft. Well, I learned that the hard way. So <laughs> I grab you bounce your head off the canopy? A few times. So I grabbed the <laughs> stick, and I was just like, yeah, this is like Top Gun, bro. You just, like, grab the stick and just do this, right? Oh, boy. And we were doing aileron rolls, like, like six or seven in a row within, like I don't know, I felt like four seconds. And he goes, dude, stop. You're going to make me throw up. <laughs> and I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> So then you, you realize you're just doing this with your yeah. hand, right? And uh, he let me do loops. He let me fly around. We flew back to base. Then he takes over and he lands and everything else. And, man, we did that forever. And then they showed us the the new F-35 facility getting built at Eglin because that's a joint training facility for the Marines and Navy and the Air Force. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. He's like, well, the Marines are the, supposed to be the first ones to get the F-35s. Yep. And I'm like, I want to go fly in the Marines. And I want to go fly the F-35. That's what I want to do. So I, I didn't realize that. So I get back to the academy and I realized that when you go to the Air Force Academy, you have the ability to cross-commission to another service branch. Really? It's a it's an unknown rule. It's like a gentleman's agreement that you go to the Air Force, you go to the Air Force. You go to West Point, you go to the Army. You go to Annapolis, you go to the Navy or the Marines. Yeah. I didn't know that was an option. So I find the Marine liaison officer there, and I talk to him about, you know, how do I do this process? He goes, well, let's sign this piece of paper, and we'll start you with Marine screeners. So you can go to officer candidate school. And I'm like, so I have to go to officer candidate school? They're like, yeah none of your training here is going to count. You have to go to Marine Officer Candidate School in addition. So if I had passed the screeners, then I would go to Marine Officer Candidate School in Quantico mm-hmm. my junior summer into my first year. So you still, at the end of your uh, four years, you would have been ready to go. You would yep. have had to just do basically a summer's worth of OCS. Well, actually, I did that before my final two semesters. Oh, perfect. Yeah, okay. so I would just just walk right into the Marine Corps basically if I had passed. It actually probably makes sense to have you do some Marine Corps training well, we're going to get to that. So yeah. the Marine Corps is fantastic, but I get I get back from from, from that your summer. sophomore summer. Yep, from okay. from flying jets and doing cool things with cool guys. And uh, I was like really inspired. I'm like, man, this is great. Like life is cool. Like I like the academy. Like I have I, made good life choices. I love being here again, <laughs> even though my commander definitely hates me. You know, and uh, 
So it's I'm getting ready for OCS. I pass all my marine screeners. Uh, it was just basically just giant haze sessions. Flip this tire up this hill, and then we're going to kick the tire from the top of the hill, and you're going to go chase it in the snow and do it again. Yep. And these are all kids from the class of 2009 that already graduated OCS. So they were like the class of 2009 that went to OCS, and they come in, and they're your cadre for 2010. Likewise, I was cadre for the class of 2011 coming in. Yep. So out of 30 of us, six of us were selected, and I was picked as the first person to go. So I had to give up going to ring dance, which is like at the end of your junior year, you get your class ring. So I skipped the Seems whole premature, but okay. Yeah. So like that you walk into your first year with a ring basically, you know, and, uh, but I skipped the whole ceremony. I'm like, I don't, you know, I'd rather go to OCS than go to ring dance. So, and this is the slot I was allotted. So let's go. So right before I'm getting ready to go to OCS, uh, my roommate and our next door neighbor, we're going to go run the Fort Collins marathon. So they're like, Hey, you want to drive us up there? I'm like, yeah, you can hang out for the night. And I'm like, oh yeah, like, uh, I, I kind of know some people on Facebook up there, you know, that you met through CSU, civilian women you've met online or whatever to go up there. Um, so we go up there and uh, we go to this house party and it's like my first college party ever <laughs> as a cadet. And uh, so my my roommate and my next year, they leave. They leave me there. And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking around and uh, I'm like, well, I'm just going to enjoy the rest of the night, I guess. And I was staying up. We had a pass for the night. So I was just planning on staying up there with another one of my friends who I knew up there. And, uh, I blacked out around midnight, 1am. I don't remember anything. And I'm a pretty big guy. Like I'm not, I'm not a tiny guy. I'm also Irish. I know my alcohol tolerance and I never was really a big drinker, Mm -hmm. but something didn't feel right about this one. I wake up the next morning. I have no idea where I am. And I recognized by looking down my boxers that something was wrong. And I'm in a room with a bunch of people. I have no idea who they are. I just find my keys. I find my cell phone and it's dead. And I didn't know what to do. I had no one to call. I didn't know where I was. And I know everyone had left me there. So I get in my truck and I go back to the Air Force Academy. And I'm like, dude, why'd you leave me up there? He goes, well, you were at the party. You looked like you were having fun. Whatever, man. Like, thanks for being a wingman. Like, you left me up there. And uh, immediately I realized, like, this isn't right. And I go to try to talk to my commander about it. I'm like, I think, you know, I think I was sexually assaulted last night. And uh, he goes, there's no way. You play rugby. You're just a liar. You went out and got drunk last night. And you didn't report back on time. You just don't want to get in trouble anymore. And I'm like, no, no. I, I, I was definitely sexually assaulted and something bad happened. Ironically, he uh, he gets a phone call from this person who I ended up being in that dorm room with. And this person is claiming that they're pregnant. And that wasn't true. They, she couldn't prove it. And it, I actually called Colorado State University Police Department because I knew... The dorm room that you woke up in. Yeah, because I was at okay. CSU at the time. Okay. I actually called the civilian authorities because I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with the Air Force. And they actually launched an investigation and realized that she wasn't even a student there. She apparently was a problem person up there. And they said, hey, did you go get a rape kit done? Did you get anything else done? And I said, well, to be honest, it's like a week after the fact. I said, no. And they said, okay, so we don't have any physical evidence. Um, We're going to help you with this. She ended up getting banned from the Air Force Academy. So ironically, the guys I was working with at OSI gave me a call. Hey, we're going to help with your sexual assault case. I'm like, okay. 
And had you told them about it or did they hear about it? They heard about it from the police department, civilian entity. And they were great. I mean, honestly, the Colorado State Police Department, they really cared. They believed me. They took evidence as much as they could. They documented everything. They found who this person was. Uh, We found out that she was just lying and, you know, she apparently was a predatory woman, you know, at CSU. Um, You know, but that it kind of takes an emotional stake on you because you're like, I was completely taken advantage of and I was left up at this place in the middle of the night by my so-called friends and my commander doesn't believe me. So I made, I filed an official report with the Air Force Sexual Assault Response Coordination Center and that's where I met um, my victim advocate and they believed me 100%. And they helped me, you know, I went to some counseling sessions there at the Peak Performance Center, you know, and we just talked about, you know, how you feel, you know. And for me, it was like, I'm okay with this because, like, I can't change what happened. Like, there's, did I make maybe a bad decision by going to a civilian party with a bunch of unfamiliar people? Sure. You know what I mean? But retrospectively, you can't hound on the past and expect something to change now. You can just be okay with what happened and move on, move forward with your life. And I, my biggest problem with it, though, is that, like, my chain of command really didn't believe me. They just thought I was, like, the worst cadet ever. You know, you went to a civilian party, and you're just trying to say these things and make these reports so you don't have to sit in your room for 30 hours for showing up late. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not true. But unfortunately, because I had misuse of government network and, you know, the email war uh, on my record at that point, they were just like, well, we're just not going to believe anything you say. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to OCS now. So got my orders, reported into Quantico, and I just, I just smirk when I say these things because it was, a, it was a, the best life-changing experience I've had. So you're like three years into the academy at this point, right? And you're like, oh, I know how to march. I know stuff about the military. And I show up, and you're in polos and khaki pants. And they're going around at OCS, and you're in the, you're in the squad bay. And uh, they're like, all right, say your, your school and what your degree is and what contract you have. Now, I was had an air contract. I was going to go fly. I had been, took all the tests and was pushing for a pilot slot in the Marine Corps. And they get to me, and I'm just like, you know, you present your rifle, and you're like, you know, Candidate Dorito, Colorado Springs, air contract. And they're like, where in Colorado Springs? You know, that really deep frog voice. This manimal, just giant biceps. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure the vein coming out of his bicep was going to choke me just by looking at it. Because he was wearing a children's t-shirt. God, these people scared me, like legitimately scared me. And that's why they have that job. (laughs) And it was awesome. And and I sit there and they're like, where in Colorado Springs? I'm like, Colorado Springs, Colorado, gunnery sergeant. He's like, no, UCCS, UC Denver, where? And I'm like, USAFA. And they're like, the fuck is USAFA? And I'm like, the United States Air Force. And before I could even say academy, the other gunner sergeant sprints across squad bay, picks up my footlocker, sprints to the door, and completely ejects it out of the barracks and on into the mud where my stuff exploded all over the ground. So this is how this is going to be. Great. <laughs> I am the only Air Force person there. Everyone that was there was either prior service or NROTC. So immediately they're like, ah, oh, fuck, we have the one Air Force guy in our, in our platoon. And immediately I was promoted to fire team leader. I don't know what a fire team leader is. I know nothing about infantry tactics or anything like that. 
I failed miserably. You know, when I was at the Air Force Academy, when you're like a, what do they call them, element leaders, or was this like kind of like a fire team leader equivalent? Hey, cadets, did you like do your homework and show up and clean your room? Great job. I'm not going to interfere with your life. But in the Marine Corps, they expect you to do hands-on instruction, you know, lead your Marines, you know, be in a forced leadership position and learn how to lead by fire, basically. It's a different mentality for sure. It's a very, very different mentality. And uh, we're on our first three-mile hike. <laughs> you get in a rucksack. And the good thing about the academy, though, was that I prepared myself well for OCS, like in terms of fitness-wise, right? So you could ruck march around the academy with a bunch of heavy shit. And when I got to sea level, oh, yeah, I was ahead it. of the game. Yeah. And I was killing And Gunner Sergeant Alessio, I'll never forget his name. I remember every, I don't remember any of my basic military trainers except the Marines. And Gunner Sergeant Alessio gets in my face and we're, you're not ruck marching and you're not running and you're not sprinting, but you're basically kind of half running. You're rucking. Up this hill this entire time. Rucking is its own speed. It, it really, yeah. <laughs> and I see Gunner Sergeant Alessio gets in my face. He's like, Kenneth Dorito, are you a blue falcon? And I'm like thinking in my head, I know nothing about the Marines. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, Blue Falcon, Air Force Academy mascot is a Blue Falcon. Yes. I, Gunnery Sarnt. That is not the answer he wanted. This, he meant buddy fucker. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. <laughs> and I, Gunnery Sarnt, this candidate is a Blue Falcon. He goes, what? And I'm like, Blue Falcon, what? You know, you're just repeating yourself. And when a Marine doesn't know what to say, you just say, I, Gunnery Sarnt, the entire time. And he's just like repeating himself, like thinking I'm going to get it. And I'm not because yeah. I, I don't understand what's going Two on. Two different languages. So he goes, commence satellites. I'm like, okay. So my three-mile ruck march ended up being like a six because I was you just going around running the around the entire company yelling, this candidate is a Blue Falcon for like, it seemed like an hour and a half. And I get back and uh, thank God, one of the prior enlisted guys who actually was a DI and who's there to go to OCS, he pulls me aside, Dorito. He goes, all right, I'm here to help you, man. You just said that you were a buddy fucker for like the past hour and a half. And I was like, oh. Like, you know, uh, I was like, man, I'm an idiot. I was like, God it's just a different it. vernacular. Yeah. And I, I didn't know what a deck was. Yeah. When they said, all right, Marines, we're going to have a field day. I'm like, oh, sweet. That's like tug of war and shit, right? No, it means, no, clean. It means I'm going to clean with Brasso yeah. until yeah. I get cancer. And uh, so we get back after our ruck. And they're like, you need to go see the battalion commander in the morning. And I'm like, shit, like the battalion commander of OCS. I'm like, oh, I'm fucked. And they sit me down. Colonel Mancini looks in my face like, why do you want to be a Marine Dorito? And I, you know, they don't want to hear that you want to fly. They don't want to hear any of that stuff. And uh, two of my friends enlisted in the Marine Corps after we graduated high school. I was on the Air Force guy. But there was one person from my hometown who I'll never forget. And his name was Lance Corporal Brian Perello. And he was one of the first Marines. He was a small watercraft company uh, boat driver. And he got shot in the Euphrates River when they were uh, inv invading Baghdad in that area. And he was killed. And he was the first person to die from our hometown in the Global War on Terror in 2005. It was right on New Year's Eve, too. And our, our town took that hard. I mean, we named a fire truck and a post office after this kid. I mean, he was in the in the shit and he was in the heat right at the height at the beginning, you know, of Iraq. And uh, I told him that story. And I said, you know, I wanna do my hometown proud. You know, I wanna follow in that legacy, you know, and I feel like I can contribute more to my country in the Marine Corps than I can if I had stayed at the Air Force Academy. You know, I just felt like I was gonna, I was gonna do more there. Cause all right, get out of my office. 
copy that, sir, salute him, hand out. I get back to the barracks, and there's every single <laughs> drill sergeant or sergeant instructor staring me in the face. Get the fuck in the van and pack your shit up. I'm like, what? They're like, pack your shit up, you're done. I was like, fuck. So I go in the barracks, everyone's cleaning their rifles, and I get back to the barracks uh, squad bay. I have no idea what to do with myself. I pack all my shit up out of my thing, throw it in my A-bag, get in this E-350 van by myself with two sergeant instructors. Now keep in mind, Quantico is like an hour away from like Reagan International, right? I'm like, I failed OCS, that's it. And he didn't like my answer. They drive all the way to Reagan International Airport. They get to the gate. Now, I also don't have a plane ticket or anything. Run through my head. I'm like, did you book any travel here? I have nothing. I don't know anything. I, I, I'm just doing exactly what I'm told. Gunner Sergeant Clay turns around, snaps back, opens up his flip phone. Canada Dorito. Commander's giving you another chance. I'm like, what? <laughs> I am so confused at this point. They turn that bitch right around and they drive me all the way back to Quano, make me unpack my shit and commence cleaning the rifle like nothing happened. And everyone in the barracks is like, what a fucking what? intricate head. What? Talk about fucking with me. But I you really support what they did. <laughs> you know what? I look back on That's it now. high level shit. And like I said, it made me, f- it lit a fire under my ass. Like I sat there and read every single MCDP one, like war fighting. I mean, I was reading everything I knew that yep. they gave me, memorizing everything. And, you know, one thing that really stuck with me from MCDP one was, you know, Marines are going to make mistakes and they are meant to learn from their mistakes. And you must allow your Marines to learn from their mistakes in order for them to be effective Marines. And that's something that really like stuck with me. And I probably misquoted that, you know, it's not exact, but sounded good. It stuck with me. I get called into the gun insurance office. He goes, Dorito, congratulations. You've been promoted. Like what? He's like, you are now the candidate company commander, which is like the highest billet. It's like, oh, so move up and fuck up. Got it. Got it. Roger that. So now I still have no idea what I'm doing because uh, now I'm in charge of all the Marines, like all 400 of them. I'm supposed to get them to PT. I'm supposed to make sure they get to their classes. I'm supposed to make sure they're at tactics school or whatever the heck we're doing that day. Are most of these people older than you too? Yes. I am probably one of the youngest people okay. there as an academy guy. Most of the, most of them are prior service. That's what I was going to say. They probably, got, probably four to five years on you at least. At least. So I think they were just like, oh, this fucking young kid's... <laughs> He's just fucking getting his ass lit every single day. But from there, I mean, I took, I mean, my PT was great. I mean, I, I ran my three mile in 1940 at OCS. I ran my 800 during the Marine Corps combat fitness test in like 204 in boots and newts. Like I was in good shape. It was the best shape I've ever been in my life. I dropped 20 pounds at OCS. I, I don't think I've ever been 200 pounds again in my life. I've always been like a healthy 225, 230, but like Jesus. So they, uh, <laughs> They never let me sleep after that. So I became the Canada Company commander and everything was my fault, no matter what it was. So I was like, double firewatch, Dorito. I'm like, oh, double firewatch, got to that. So I would do the first two shifts. I'd sleep from like midnight to like three, <laughs> get up. PT was at 3, 34 o'clock. And there was this one night. I hear somebody drop kick the door into the squad bay. And like, you could see like every Marine just takes like their wool blanket and like hides it over their face. Like, I am not here. I am not involved because I 100% know they're going for that Dorito kid again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to pretend I'm sleeping soundly and I don't hear or see anything. And like four, gonna, one on the front, one on the back, one on each side are just knife handing me like from the inside, get your ass out of your fucking rack. And I'm like, okay. And like, get on your face and like start low crawling. I'm like, okay. I can't see anything. It's pitch black dark. They have me low crawl down the squad bay 
down the stairs, start low crawling in the mud. And the way our, our uh, squad base were set up, like I was in like platoon four. So platoon one is like all the way down the end. I am low crawling in the drainage ditch the entire way in my skivvies. Like this is like before the Marine Corps banned the really short, sexy, silky shorts. So I was, we still got the short ones. I'm covered in mud. I believe they're called ranger panties. Yeah, ranger panties, but yeah. I, I didn't want to say that. I, I, I didn't want to like <laughs> further exclude myself. They're called your PT shorts, figure it out. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm low crawling in the drainage ditch all the way to platoon number one. Now, I know the guys in my squad bay, but in general, I don't know who anyone else is at OCS as long as they show up to formation and their candidate company commander is like good to go, like whatever, or their candidate platoon commander. So I get to squad bay one. And they're having me low crawl. And everyone's like getting woken up by like four gunnery sergeants just yelling and screaming at me the entire way. I'm low crawling. Look at this, Marines. Go fasters. Running shoes, right? Whatever. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you're going to stand here and do push-ups until you tell us what's wrong with these go fasters. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. They're like, his laces are laced left over right. Oh, fuck. And they're supposed to be right over left. And I'm like... What? Like, how am I supposed to know this one specific person with this in particular set of running shoes on the other side of OCS <laughs> had them laced backwards? And I get it. They were fucking with me. And they're like, you are responsible for the behavior and the actions of every single person here. If this person failed to lace their shoes correctly, you will figure it out and you will fix it. So I addressed the company the next day and said, please, guys, make sure it's laced correctly. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, we, get to, we finally get to graduation. And I knew how to march. You know, you're on this giant blacktop thing and you're doing your final inspection before the graduation parade the next day. And uh, this is when I actually thought I was going to get murdered. So you do an open ranks inspection and the battalion commander, Colonel Mancini, the one who apparently sent me to Reagan International Airport to fuck with me. I'm like, shit, I got I to gotta make this look good. So, you know, you, you pop your rifle up for that inspection so he can look at the chamber. And as I do this, the tip of my rifle hits his cover and that's not going to go well. Cover hits, is a hat, by the way. Yes. So he's talking the brim of a hat. It hits a gust of wind fluttering over the high heat coming off the radiating asphalt. You're at so OCS. fucked. You're so fucked. And I see this cover <laughs> from this colonel who has like upteen, you know, combat deployments. Guy was probably in Fallujah, you know, whatever, flying down the hall. And I, which you just popped his hat off with the barrel of no, your I'm, rifle. I'm like in his nose, like his actual <laughs> face, like my front, my eight. <laughs> My front sight, Fuck yes. My front sight post. Just, what, kind of, what kind of gun was it? It was an M16. Okay, like standard M16, because they don't have M4s in the Marines, you know. Yeah, I you thought it might have been shit. an M14. Oh no, 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 okay. no! It was M16. So I'm like, thank God I didn't hit him in the face and cut his nose off, and I just take his cover. And in the background, Gunner Sergeant Clay, Gunner Sergeant Alessio, the guys who made me low crawl in the ditch, who drove me to Reagan International Airport. I can see them screaming, but with no words. Like they're like, oh. You gotta die. And there's this small tree on the side of the blacktop. And that's the only source of shade near the parade deck. And I see Gunner Sergeant Clay turn around and start punching this tree until his hands bleeding and just looks at me and says, I'm going to murder you. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I've never heard of somebody popping Colonel, off the Colonel's hat yeah, with t- a rifle. And the, in front of the entire OCS class, the entire 400 of them. How'd the Colonel take it? I was just gonna get. He turns to me and goes, "Dorito, congratulations." Snaps left face, walks away like nothing happened. <laughs> Complete badass. So he took it like a champ. Awesome. Then you know, command sergeant major just turns and looks at me and goes, 
just looks at me and shakes his head in yeah. complete disappointment. We get back to the barracks and nothing happened. Like, I honestly thought I was going to get murdered. Like, I'm like, this is, this is my last night alive. So we graduate the next day, and it was honestly, it was the proudest day of my life. Like, it was like, I accomplished something. Now, granted, I, I know most people's experience at OCS is like, yeah, you just fold clothes, do what you're told, and go to this place and go to this place. It's just the haze. But for me, it was just a much different experience. Well, it'll be a different experience for them, too, if they're coming from previous service, because they've yeah. probably gone through boot mm-hmm. camp type setting. For you, I bet you left with a totally different understanding of leadership. Absolutely. And what really encouraged that for me was Gunnar Sergeant Lesio, the man who wanted to murder me every day of my life, came up to me, smiled, which was weird, with my mom, who was there. And he goes... I just want to let you know that if there was ever a Marine lieutenant that I had to fall into combat, it would be you. And he goes, the amount of shit you just took for the past, like, six weeks, most people would have quit. And he goes, when you get back to the Air Force Academy, you send me an email on the Global, and I'll write your letter of recommendation across commission. And, like, I still have that letter to this day. You know? It's, like, framed yeah. in my house because... As it should be. It, uh... It hits deep with that because I felt like whatever had happened to me at the academy, all this stuff didn't matter anymore. And it was like what that army major, that that way of leadership was finally, oh, that's why we do these things. It made sense for me. Yeah. And I went back to the academy and, you know, I had, I'm not going to lie, I had a little bit of an ego. I just completed like one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life that, you know, um, and you came back to start your junior year? Uh, finish off my first year. So your your senior year at the academy. Okay. Your final year. How, well, hold on. You said your first... How many years are there? So they call your senior year at the academy yeah. your first year. There's a, this another... Firsty. Yeah. This is arbitrary terminology at the Air Force Academy that no other service has. Okay. But right? it is a four-year school, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, your first year is actually your senior year. Gotcha. Yeah. So... That makes... Absolutely no sense. Yeah. So therefore, it should be in the military system somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So I get back, and this is kind of a weird time at the academy. So this is going on with the modern times, with the pandemic and everything, is there was the swine flu outbreak in 2009. So this is the summer of 2009. There was, I have no recollection Yeah, so there was a swine flu outbreak at the Air Force Academy. Really? Yeah, and I had just came back from Marine OCS. I'm in my Marine uniforms because all my Air Force stuff is in my cadet room at the time. And uh, no one knows who I am because I have lost 20 pounds. I look... You're like, I'm, a, I'm in a Marine uniform and no one knows who the heck this guy is. And they go, hey, oh, Dorito, hey, welcome back. I uh, didn't know you needed loose skin surgery after this, but, you know. <laughs> I was like, gee, thanks, sir. And uh, they're like, hey, well, here's the problem is that you can't come be cadre because you have to, they didn't, the Air Force Academy doesn't consider Marine Officer Candidate School as part of your leadership credits for the summer, which of course um, they does. doesn't make any sense. So I was still required to go back and be a basic training cadre for the incoming class of 2014. Yeah. So, okay. so I get back there and like, okay, well you can't go cause everybody's quarantined. Everybody's sick and throwing up their guts. They're like, you are not a prep school. Cause we have the air force Academy prep school as well. I was a direct entry. So instead of doing the five-year program, I did the four-year program. Oh, the one year on ramp followed by, okay. Yep. Gotcha. Most of them are prior enlisted recruited athletes. Uh, or people who just need a little help with academics to make okay, the SAT fair. School, that's, right? good. that's good they have that. And uh, But most of the time when they send cadre or basic training cadets, uh, instructors over to the prep school, it's kids who went to the prep school. Um, I was a direct entry guy. I, have, I know nothing about the prep school, like, at all. And I get there, and uh, it was interesting. You know, it, it was it was a really great experience. Um, I love fitness at that point, because being with the Marines, you just run everywhere all the time. And uh, so... My cadets 
uh, cadet candidates at the time, they were like in the best shape. We were running everywhere all the time. They hated me the entire time I was there. But then after that, they were just like, damn, sir, they're like, my Air Force PT score is like way higher now because yeah. you made us run everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, if we're going to be here and do this, you might as well do it right. Uh, they, we even got T-shirts made. Uh, it was like, you know, like you're like graduating basic training graduation t-shirts and they put me on it and it was uh, me and my marpats driving around on a lawnmower running over puppies because the one thing that stuck to them was they're like like why do you look so sad there's nothing sad you know what's sad puppies getting hit by lawnmowers if you want to think about that stop look like sad keep marching so that's like the one phrase i said during basic training that stuck with them that air force basic training it's a bizarre sad. visual yeah i don't know the air, you know i learned a lot of these things from like the marines because the marines have extremely creative insults without actually cursing Correct. You know, and I, I picked up on that vibe, and I guess that was like the first thing that popped into my mind was, you know, I can't say curse words, I can't be unprofessional, but I can definitely tell you that puppies getting hit by lawnmowers is sadder than marching on the parade deck for the next three hours. All right. And they agreed with that. Yeah, I can support that. I still have the T-shirt, and they even wrote me like a thank you card, which is kind of weird. And then, uh, you know, I, I told them at the end of their training, I said, if you guys ever have any issues or you feel like something's not right, Here's my, you know, find me on the global. Let me know what's going on. And we should explain to people the global is basically the uh, military internet server. Yep, military internet server. So they, they were like, all right, fine. I get an email, probably like September time frame, from one of these cadet candidates. And they say, hey, Cadet Dorito, I just want to let you know that there's a lot of like drinking going on here. And there's a lot of like- At the prep school? At the prep school. Okay. And I'm like, God damn it. And I'm like, fine. I call my OSI handlers. Because I was- now back working for them. Now I'm off my summer duties and whatever else. And things had died down over the summer because I was out of the state the entire time. How would they communicate with you? Email. Purely over email? Through civilian email. So that way it couldn't be tracked on their okay. server. So we'd find a backdoor. We'd email them through these civilian email addresses they would assign me. And then it was a way for the 10th communication squad to not be able to track cadet communications with Air Force OSI server. Wouldn't they want to? Be? Oh, See, the thing about Air Force OSI is that... I was going to say, wouldn't the 10th Communications, what would be the negative of them tracking that? They, they, didn't, they didn't know that there were people working for OSI? Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So gotcha, gotcha. that's that's one thing I think caused a big disconnect with my chain of command is no one knew I was working for OSI. And OSI keeps themselves separate. They are above the chain of command because otherwise, how are things going to get properly investigated if there's an influence from the chain of command on investigations of their own cadets, right? Okay, that makes sense. You know, and for me, I could never tell anybody I worked for OSI. That would defeat the entire purpose of me being an undercover informant. So we formulate a plan. They're like, well, we need to find out more about this underage drinking or whatever else is going on at the prep school. Well, that's right. It would be underage, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm a senior, so it's like there, there's like this fraternization thing. Like you can't communicate with any lower classmen, basically, as, a, as an upper class cadet, right? So I'm like, well... I can't just go over to the prep school. Like, why is a firstie from the Air Force Academy going over to the prep school or talking to the freshmen, right? So we came up with this plan of, uh, I was going to do a CrossFit program at the prep school. So we got my commander to sign off on it. Dorito, as a Marine officer candidate graduate, is now going to lead PT at the prep school because his PT scores were much higher on, during basic training. So that, that was able, we were able to fly under the radar with that. I meet up with them like once or twice a week in the morning, like 4 a.m. or whatever. We just go run around in circles and do push-ups. It just stuff. gave you an excuse to physically go to the exactly. Prep okay, uh, so it seemed legit, right? And I start getting these stories of like, well, this person's bringing drugs in here, and this person's bringing booze, and these 
kids are having sex and they're getting raped and all these things are happening. I'm just like, okay. I'm like, this is going way above my pay grade, <laughs> like yeah. way, way above. So we tell OSI what's going on and they're like, keep collecting information, keep doing these things. And it got to the point where I, I stopped hearing from a lot of the cadet candidates. I figured OSI was taking care of it at that point. Like I just direct them in the direction of where they're going and then they take care of the law enforcement and for, you know, actual, about OSI. Yeah. OSI, okay. they take care of the actual punishment and law enforcement aspect of, so you're a conduit for information for them. That's all it is. I'm just a funnel of information. So we go home for Christmas break and I come back and I'm like, oh, things are dying down. I am a couple months out from graduation. Now it's time to play the gray man. I understand a lot of the cadets in my squadron couldn't stand me because like there's this Marine guy, you know, you know, he, all he does is like work out and, you know, that's a hard lesson I had to learn was keeping my ego in check. Yeah. Right. As we all do. And, uh, you know, 22 years old, you're still a dumbass. So, you know, I go out and uh, this is like probably my favorite story uh, as my experience as a cadet with this particular commander. I was getting ready for the basic school or TBS as we yep. call it. And uh, so I'm like, whatever. I just kept to myself, be the gray man. Just be the gray man. As, mu as much as I wasn't at that time, I still tried to be the gray man. Like I moved my cadet room as far away from my commander's office as possible so I wouldn't even have to walk past his office. Just go to class, go play rugby, work out graduate get to graduation i'm like what it's february <laughs> march april may yeah i'm three months away from like 90 days right uh 100 night had happened at that point i found out i was getting my marine cross commission i did get my job and then my backup if uh for some reason i didn't go in the marines i was assigned to the 352nd air commandos as an aircraft maintenance officer in mildenhall england so if i had stayed in the air force i still had a pretty sweet gig like, yeah i, I would have gone to england and like hung out okay cool so i had my orders like everything was ready to go I'm like 90 days 90 days just make it so i'd go out and ruck march i put all my kit on my marpats everything else my rucksack and i go out and march and uh i'm out marching one night it's like on a friday night my commander never let me leave base so i just subjected myself to personal torture and just Work out, watch movies, and hang out. That was my life as a senior. I never went out, never went to bars, never did anything. And uh, all of a sudden, three security forces officer cars come flying up the road, lights, sirens, everything. They get out of the car, they get on your knees and drop your rifle. And I'm like, what? Grant, I'm wearing Marpats, but I'm still in a military uniform. Like, yeah. And I have a rubber ducky, like it's blue. It's not yeah. a rifle. You're talking about a rubber Yeah, a M16 rubber yep, a fake, shape. A fake yeah. toy. That's just there for weight. And also blue means inert. Yeah. <laughs> a but, far visual indicator but, that it's not actual. Well, I guess you could paint a real M16 blue, but you'd be an asshole if you yeah, did that. Yeah. It's a far indicator that it's an inert weapon. Yeah. So, but these dudes get out of the car and they're like pointing their rifles at me. I'm like, all right. Okay. Yeah. Whatever, dude. And they're like, where's your military? ID? I'm like, here. They're like, get in the car. I'm like, okay. And I get all the way back to my squadron. And uh, who called them? We'll get to that. So I get back to like, hey, man, sorry, somebody called in to the, you know, the uh, security forces office and they said that there was, a, there was a person in a military uniform with military equipment running towards a cadet chapel with a satchel full of explosives with that exact terminology, satchel full of explosives. And I was like, who carries a satchel? <laughs> What is this? Yeah. The, what is this? The hangover is like a mailbag. Indiana Jones. What is this? Like Saving Private Ryan? We're doing sticky bombs on tanks. Like yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, the cops actually apologized. They're like, hey man, we just got a phone call. I can get it. Post 9/11 era. They should probably exactly, err on right? the side of safety. Yeah. And we actually ended up talking about it. Like, like yeah man, we just got back from Iraq. This is our first duty assignment after Iraq. So you know, we're just doing what we're told and trying to lay low. These senior airmen, right? They're yeah. Air Force enlisted guys. 
So I get back to my room. I'm like, hey, man, you guys have a good night. I'm like, yeah, well, I guess I don't have to finish my ruck march. I'm just going to stay in. So I shower up and get back to my room. I kind of knock on the door like two hours later. It's like 10 o'clock at night now. Bang, bang, bang. And I'm the only one in the room because I'm the only one in the squadron who is a first-class cadet because I couldn't leave. And it's my commander. And you stand there with the same two cops with a canine unit. And they say, get in the car. And you could see the airmen behind him rolling their eyes like this. Oh, God. I'm like, but he's a lieutenant colonel. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Rock, paper, rank. Yep, rock, paper, rank. That's exactly what it is. And like I said, paperwork officer, right? Oh, you were you were arrested. I wasn't arrested. I was I was picked up by the SF, uh, security forces guys, and then they dropped me off at my cadet dorm. Like, nothing happened. So we get all the way to the security forces office, and I get brought into an interrogation room. And I'm, like, beside myself because I'm like, you know, on, like, that hint of sarcasm of, like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Like, what? where is this going? Where? So those two senior airmen are standing on the other end of the table. My commander's sitting there. And now the security forces commander, who's a major, comes in. And they sit there and start screaming at me. What did you think that you were doing on a military base in a military uniform with military issued equipment running around like a madman? And then I turned to him and said, I'm like, well, sir, if you'd like me to grab my equipment and run on Powers Boulevard with the civilians, you let me know. Probably not the best response. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to net the results yeah, you're looking no, for. No, but at that point, I'm just like, it just felt like pure harassment at this point. Like yeah. this, every open door that my commander could take to crush me with paperwork, he took it. I, I get it. We didn't get along. He hated the fact that I completed Marine OCS. He hated the fact that, like, I had an ego about it. I get it. Like, that was my personal failure from an emotional standpoint, right? But I even said, sir, I just want to graduate and just never see you again, to be honest. <laughs> like, let's just let's just leave each other alone. Which is probably what he wanted, too, for you to graduate and then ne- never see each other again. And it became his mission to destroy my life after that. And I get back. How did that night end? I got back to my room at midnight. I to get up. I normally get up at four o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, great. I guess I'll just get up at four o'clock in the morning, go work out, and whatever again. And uh, I get back, and you know, I actually didn't get another LOR, which is surprising. I figured I was just going to get another one, but they actually rewrote the cadet site picture after that, which is like the rule, the cadet rule book of the base that said no one can ruck march alone anymore. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, look, I changed policy. At least I changed something so far. Hopefully, we'll <laughs> change more in the future. Yeah. So nothing happened with that. A month later hits, February hits, and I get another knock on my door. I'm like, all right, this is it's like after Christmas time. I thought we were good. I'm like, no. Get in my office. Yes, sir, Roger that. Get in the office. This is the same AOC? Same, same commander. You need to report to OSI. I'm like, okay. I go to OSI, and they're telling me, like, hey, you know, there's some other things going on at the prep school we need you to look into. Okay, fine. And, uh, Basically, OSI was telling my commander they needed to talk to me because I was kind of like being quiet because I'm like, I kind of don't want to be involved with whatever you guys are doing anymore because I just want to graduate. Yeah. So that was the way that getting me to the office. Oh, yeah. What did OSI want to talk to you about? I'm like, hey, sir, nothing's going on. Like, it is what it is because I can't tell them. About two weeks later, I get a phone call and there is a cadet female on the other line um, and she's crying and it's like midnight and it's like a Friday. Obviously, I'm by myself. Like, there's a couple other cadets in the squadron. Everyone's out on the weekend, and I'm not. Hey, sir, I know I shouldn't be calling you, but I'm in trouble. And I'm like, what's going on? She goes, I know you said if we ever needed help to call you. And I'm like, all right, what's going on? She's like, I just got raped. And now I'm like, all right, 
well, let's, let's do this thing. I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm in Denver. I'm at a hotel. I'm with a bunch of other cadets. We're drinking. You know, we're not supposed to be here. We're off. We're not allowed to be out. We're off pass. Like every check mark in the box of things you're not supposed to do as a cadet, they were doing. Yep. And I'm like, well, everyone already hates me and I'm already fucking screwed. So fuck it. I, I honestly felt that it was my duty to go get her. She didn't trust her chain of command. I called the Sexual Assault Response Coordination Center. I called my uh, my victim advocate at the time. I told them what was going on. And uh, I said, I'm going to go get her. And they're like, okay. And the SAR kind of keeps things separate from the Academy Chain of Command for that reason. They try to keep things separate. So I go, I grab my truck, I leave base. I go all the way up to Denver from Colorado Springs. I pick her up, I bring her back. No questions asked. I just go, you already have a victim advocate on the way. She got her victim advocate. And uh, I hope she got the help she needed at the time. But, you know, it's really scary thinking about, especially in modern times, what's been going on now is when chain of commands fail their soldiers when they get sexually assaulted. And it gets really scary about, like, what maybe could have happened if someone didn't go get her, you know. I tell OSI all this, and I, I write this report, and they're just like, okay, we need to keep digging on this. We need to find out who was there, who was doing this, who was giving out the drugs, who, you know, who was in the rooms. So this same person ended up calling me a week later, and she goes, you know, the vice commander of the prep school is bringing everybody in and asking them questions about you. You know, because then they found out, like, I was talking to the cadet commands. Like, there was a, obviously the rumor mill got along that. Yeah. Cadet Dorito brought back this person, right? Why is Cadet Dorito talking to candidates? And then they start bringing people and They start questioning them. And they go, you know, they're telling us to just say that you're a bad cadet. This is the vice commander of the prep school. He's a lieutenant colonel. And I'm like, why? They're like, they're, they're trying to start a frat investigation on you. Fraternization? Yeah, fraternization. Okay. And I'm like... Yeah, whatever. I'll roll the dice. I mean, I work for OSI. Like, whatever. I'm not worried about it. They know. They know everything that's going on. So about four days later, like the next Monday or whatever it was, I, I get nod. They're knocking the door, and it's my commander. Hey, you need to get in my office. You're being investigated by OSI. I'm like, yeah, sure, sir. Got it. I'll report down to OSI. I go down to OSI. Same agent. Same guys I've been working with for years. All right, Dorito, tell us everything that went on. You got it. Write like an 11 page statement. I get there at 4 p.m. They buy me dinner. Got my standard, you know, double whopper with cheese because I'm broke. I'm a cadet. They took all my pay anyway, so whatever. Oh, a side bought you dinner? Oh, yeah. yeah. Bought me dinner, hanging out. And we're just very casually. These two agents, we're just hanging out, talking like we have been for the months I've worked for them. And we're going over every detail, every cadet, every phone contact I've had, every email, what happened that night in Denver, where we thought the alcohol and the drugs may have been coming from. And uh, they're like, great, awesome, man. We're going to take this. Well, you know, we got to get you out of here soon, man. It's like... 11 o'clock at night. I got class the next day. I'm in the room by myself for like an hour and a half. Now it's like 1130 at night. I'm like, okay, whatever. And they come in. Hey, everything here looks good, but you forgot the part where you like were having sex with like cadet candidates. And I'm like, yeah, because it didn't happen. And you guys know this. They're like, well, here's the problem. We got five statements saying that you did from all these people at the prep school. And you have no alibi to that because you were by yourself. And I'm like, yeah, you guys know these things. Like, I even told you they were trying to launch a frat investigation before this even even happened. You guys knew that this, like, so-called commander's investigation from the prep school was coming before it even happened. They're like, look, man, we can't blow cover about all the investigations we're doing. We can't just start telling everybody what you've been doing because we need to keep going with this because they haven't made any arrests yet. And I'm like, okay, so what do you need me to do? They're like, look, 
frat is frat. Whether it's sex, whether it's you talking to a lower enlisted person, that's how the UCMJ reads. Uh, no, it doesn't. Exactly. I have no lawyer. I'm not being read my rights. I don't know what's going on. And I trust these people with, unfortunately, I trusted them. I didn't know anything. And these guys have always gone to bat with me in the past. And I've, I thought what we were doing at the academy was a good thing. I felt like the impact we were making at the academy was going to make some real changes, you know, because the academy had a problem at the time. And they go, look, forget this 11-page statement you wrote. You scoot it over. They come in with a pre-written confession. <laughs> and they sit there and go, did you have sex with a cadet candidate? They wrote, just write yes. All you got to do is write yes. We're going to go to the superintendent's office. You'll be good to go. You, you might get late grad. It's an Article 15, dude. Like, it's not a big deal. Just sign it. You're good to go. And I'm like, so if I sign this, like, you people are just going to leave me alone? Because now we're like, what? Two months out from graduation, maybe? I, I don't care. Please, the love of God, just leave me alone. I don't want to be involved with this stuff anymore. I'm done. I'm burned out. I write. It was really weird. It was like, you're hesitant. You're sitting there going, why? E. S. And the second I finished writing that S, they ripped the paper from the table. They lift me up from the chair. It's like two o'clock in the morning at this point. I'm tired. I don't know what's going on. They walk me out. They fingerprint me. They take my mugshot. There is a enlisted NCO staying there. Escorts me back to the academy. He goes, hey, I just want to let you know you're on suicide watch. And I'm like, what is going on right now? My commander meets me back at the squadron. He goes, hey, I just want to let you know you have a no contact order. You're not allowed to contact anyone past, present, or future who's ever been associated with the prep school. He's like, you are on uh, official investigation for fraternization, and you're going to be getting an Article 15 by the Commandant, the One Star, this week. You know, he's like, you're just a failure. Is there any record of what happened in that interrogation room, audio we, or video? No. We've FOIA requested them. They didn't exist. Or they got rid of them. We've tried. We can't get anything from them. And uh, yeah, I, it, it blows my mind. Like, looking back on it now, knowing what I know about the UCMJ, criminal investigations, you know, interrogations. I didn't know what was going on. I was completely taken advantage of. And it was a way for them, all the sexual assaults, all the investigations that I had been doing, it was a way for them to put them all under the rug and just focus on me. Who's they when you say they? The chain of command at the Air Force Academy. The Air Force Academy found out that I, all about all my investigations. and they Prior were, to you sitting in that room? Yep. And they were pissed. They're like, why is this cadet working with OSI? And he has like 30 generated reports he's, he's sent to OSI, like official MFRs. And I have a lot of them still, all the investigative work I was doing. And it made him look bad. Now, all these cadets under criminal investigation, some of them might have been athletes. Some of them, you know, might have, you know, worked on whatever, you know, the flying club or whatever it was. I mean, it, it, all races and faces were involved with this. There was not one section of people or population at the academy that was... Uh, immune from committing sexual assault or crimes, unfortunately. You know, but it was our goal working for LSI is to make sure these people don't become officers. You know, that's that's that was the whole point, you know. Like I in some of the experiences you've had, some bad apples make it through the pipeline. Yeah. You know, and it's our it was our job to try to help that. And I honestly thought what I was doing was for the greater good and I was just completely taken advantage of. So I get back and uh, my commander also tells me, You're not playing rugby anymore. So he took away the only social outlet I had. And I was embarrassed. Like, I couldn't play rugby anymore. The only thing I was allowed to do was go to the bathroom, go to my cadet room, and go to class. And I had to sign in and out of my room every time and present a copy of that roster every day to my commander. Like, they, and no one 
everyone was completely isolated from me. Like there was no participation. Did they know why they were isolated from you? No, but my commander just pretty much inferred that Cadet Dorito is pretty much getting kicked out. So no one talked to this cadet, you know, and you know what? The really weird thing about all of this was it was so well coordinated. From the time that I was asked to go down for that interrogation that I completely thought like I was just like, here, here's my typical report. I'm going to leave. See you guys later. Like I normally did. I was in there for like almost 10, 11 hours. I get back to the unit or the squadron and I'm automatically given all these things like they were pre-prepared. It's like, it's like they knew exactly what they were doing. It was like, we finally have a way to get him out. We finally have a way we can hammer his ass because between the ruck marching, between, you know, misuse of government network, whatever it was, we finally have something to pop his balloon and make sure he never becomes a Marine. And uh, I honestly thought that I was going to graduate. So my, my biggest mentor at the academy at the time was a colonel. He was the uh, Department of uh, Aeronautics and Astrophysics or whatever. And I said, sir, I'm going to be honest with you. What do I have to say in this Article 15 reading? You know, what do they want to hear? I mean, I'm at a loss. Just tell me what I need to do. He goes, you know, Cadet Dorito, just be honest. Like, just just take responsibility for everything you did and did not do. All they want to do is hear you take responsibility so you can move on with your life. And then MCDP1 comes off my mind again. Oh, Marines need to learn from their mistakes. You know, they, they must, you know, learn from that to be to be better Marines. Thinking that trying to combine Marine doctrine with Air Force... <laughs> philosophy was not a good idea right so i go in there to the one star i said sir i take responsibility for everything i did and did not do and uh i'm just, I'm just ready to be a marine officer and move on with my life you know I'll, I'll accept the article 15 i'll take it i should have went to trial by court martial 100 i mean that's what i should have done i had terrible legal advice i was assigned an area defense council which is like your military appointed lawyer and it was like a, it was like a paperwork oh, okay well you're accused of fraternization and uh, yeah, what you do, just, just accept it, sign this, fill out this. Yeah, you're fine. It is what it is. I had no idea what I was doing. And I obviously, as a cadet, I didn't, I couldn't afford a lawyer. I couldn't afford anyone to actually review what was going on with me at the time. So I did that. And uh, we get to the next week after that. This is now we're two weeks out from graduation at this point. Cadet Dorito, I'm going to need you to go take a psychological evaluation. Otherwise, if you don't voluntarily take it, I'm going to direct a command-directed medical review board on you. I'm like, okay. So that initial uh, psychologist I went and talked to after I'd gotten sexually assaulted, I go talk to him. I'm like, sir, you and I both know they're doing this just to try to find a reason to kick me out. And he goes, just go take the test. If it comes out negative, I'll tell him to leave you alone. You know, they're just trying to find paperwork to follow you. They're just trying to do whatever they can. I'm like, okay, fine. So I agree to go take the test. And I go to the cadet hospital. I meet up with like some senior airmen. They sit me down in front of a computer. They have me click through this test. Okay. Results come back. Major Todd comes back and goes, yeah, you're good to go. Uh, there, nothing came up on your diagnosis. My commander's like pissed. He's like, he, he was trying to find that. He was trying to prove that I was crazy, basically. And everything he tried just wasn't successful. And... So, okay, nothing comes up, no psychological diagnosis, no nothing. We get to the graduation ceremony week. Thunderbirds are there, everyone's getting ready. I'm like, man, I made it. This is it, man. Like, 
Yeah, they gave me an Article 15, they, whatever, but I'm not out. I finished my classes. I finished all my finals. I finished all my requirements for graduation. I'm like, they would never let me get this far <laughs> if, they were, if they had a real reason to get me out. You know? So there's a parade the day before graduation, and I uh, put on my parade dress. My family's out there, my mom, my grandma, my sisters, and uh, do the parade. We march, and my mom, you know, General Gould still has to make a decision whether I'm going to graduate tomorrow or whether I'm going to get that 30-day late grad period which is like your standard. If you kind of fucked up through the academy, they'll give you 30-day late grad. And then instead of getting 60 days of leave, you get 30 days of leave, and then you report to your duty station. Okay. At, at this point, I'll take 30 days. I don't care. She goes up to Lieutenant General Michael Golden, right to his face, my mom, Jersey woman, do the right thing. <laughs> right to his face. Did she have any idea of what was going on behind the scenes? She kind trying to explain this, to your family is like trying to explain uh, quantum physics to a monkey, you know? Especially if you're doing it much later on and they don't have the buildup or understanding. Everything was so fast and so furious at this point, like even I didn't understand what was going on. And it took me, it's taken me almost 10 years to understand what was really going on behind the scenes down there. And, uh, you know, I'm like, mom, I'm kind of, you know, they say I'm in trouble. They say I did this. It didn't happen. And regardless, the general has to make a decision whether I'm going to graduate tomorrow or 30 days from now. That's kind of like how I summed it up to her. And she just, like I said, in the badass Jersey woman she is, just goes right to this lieutenant general, points at him and goes, do the right thing, and walks away. Next day goes around, and we're getting ready for graduation. I'm putting my parade dress on in my room, and my commander comes up to me and goes, you're not graduating today. Take your shit off. Wow, talk about an emotional roller coaster, right? So they make me put my service dress on, and my grandmother gets out of her wheelchair <laughs> and tries to slap my commander across the face. It's not a good move. Yeah, and... uh he took a step back and just acted like she wasn't there. Whatever. What is this old woman going to do? Right? Okay. I can understand my family's upset. If anyone should be upset, it's probably me. But me, I'm just trying to like hold it together. <laughs> hey, all right. Look, 30 days. I'm fine. Like, let's just go to the graduation ceremony. See the Thunderbirds, whatever. All right, mom. See you later. So uh, one of the guys I went to Marino CS with, he was also on a 30-day, you know, if Toes Orders kicked in and he couldn't afford to fly home. So he's like, I'll just stay with you at the academy and we'll just hang out for 30 days. So we get assigned to go build a gazebo at the airfield. Uh, you know, I had soloed and did my five jumps in jump school there. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go work at the airfield for 30 days as a fake non-second lieutenant semi-cadet, right? So we get on there, we build this gazebo, and I get call, 30 days comes up. Uh, I get a phone call. Hey, you need to report to the superintendent's office, you know, for the lieutenant general. Copy that. Put my service dress on, report in, sits down. He's like, you know, did you learn your lesson? Yes, sir. Roger that. Okay. I leave his office. About 20 minutes later, someone comes to my room. You are hereby disenrolled from the Air Force Academy. You have four hours to leave base. You now owe the government over $200,000. Uh, you will be escorted uh, off this base as fast as possible. I'm like, what? First of all, what I don't understand is, and now I understand this, you can't kick somebody out of the military in four hours. I didn't hand in my military ID card. I did not get my medical records. They pretty much said, are you going to kill yourself? No? All right, cool. Uh, here, sign this letter saying you're not allowed back on base for seven years, and uh, that's that's how we're going to handle that. You know? Um, yeah, they have to administratively separate you as well. You can't just say, hey, get out of here. I didn't even get a DD-214. I didn't get a DD-214 until that following September, and it was backdated to, like, June 26, 2010. Hmm. So they just throw me off base. Since I had their Article 15, they took, they took all my pay. And they threw me on the street, literally, with my cadet trunk 
whatever I had on my back and said, figure it out. What day did it have on your DD-214 as your last day in service? June 26, 2010. Was that the day that they threw you out? That was the day they threw me out. It was literally four years to the date because I in process in 2006. I wonder how they were able to get that thing signed on that day. Because it takes a while to get somebody like out I, of the military. Like I said, um, every person I've ever talked to says... <laughs> There are pedophiles who I've escorted personally around with the MPs who at least have to go to a transition class <laughs> before they go to yeah, prison or whatever it, it is. Day, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it just seemed like everything was pre-set up. It, it honestly seemed very staged. Uh, and even when I got my DD-214, it wasn't even like filled out right. And I, the thing was, I still had orders in my Air Force assignment. They blocked my TBS orders to the Marine Corps, but I still had NATO orders to report to Mildenhall. And I was getting phone calls that summer. <laughs> Where are you? Hey. Second Lieutenant Dorito, where the hell are you? I'm like, uh, I'm not in the military anymore. Like, not according to our orders, you weren't. I'm like, what? And then none of that made sense to me until about uh, five or six weeks ago. And I'll explain that later. But um, so I had family friends in Parker, Colorado, and they took me in and I moved into their basement. Uh, I couldn't afford to go home. And I had no money. I had nothing. So I started going to the gym every day and I eventually got a gym. Uh, worked, working out there at the gym, I got a job as a personal trainer. And uh, started working out and met with a bunch of people, started making some more money. And one day this guy walks up to me. I had a Marine Corps, one of those stupid recruiter keychains on my truck keys. And then this guy walks up to me and he goes, hey, were you in the Marines? I was like, nah, well, I mean, I finished OCS. And long backstory to that. I have no idea who this man was. He goes, well, I was in the Marines. And he uh, started talking. This guy was a Fallujah veteran, you know, was in Afghanistan as well. And he goes, well, I'm a lawyer. And he goes, if you train me for free, I'll trade you hours. It's a good deal. And uh, I'm broke. So I'm like. This is even better deal. I'll, I will 100% <laughs> take this. He goes, if you train me for free and help me fix my knee, because he needed to uh, fix his knee enough so he can get surgery from the VA, because mm. he'd gotten blown up a few times. He goes, well, the VA says I need to lose some weight and be conditioned right for surgery. You help me get there, and I'll help you with your case. And uh, Did you even realize you had a case at that point? No. I was just trying to file for the Air Force Records Review, mil um, Air Force Board of Military Corrections, right? So okay. I'm going to file to this and then hopefully get an appeal, right? And obviously it was getting denied, 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 like, oh, you're just a terrible person. Okay. Well, that's what the Air Force Academy says. And I guess forget doing an investigation. Tried getting Congress people involved. They didn't want to get involved. Uh, Congressman Scott Garrett, the guy who appointed me, didn't even acknowledge my existence, right? So... I was kind of in between a rock and a hard place of what to do. So we start digging and find out like, well, you know, they didn't really follow correct procedure on anything that they were doing here. You know, and then some things start coming out of the woodwork. I tried getting back into the military because putting 200 something thousand dollars in your credit report completely crushes you. You can't borrow $5 from anything, right? Yeah. So it's like very intentional. Like you can't recover from that. I don't like, what do you have a mortgage? I'm like, no, <laughs> I completed a degree that I don't have. So I went back to school. And uh, I was like, I'm going to just knock out another undergrad. I'm not going to wait for the Air Force to correct themselves. I'm just going to go and move on. I'm going to I'm going to push forward as fast as I can on this. So I got a knock out a undergrad degree at UC Denver in psychology while I was personal training. So I had personal training in the morning, go to class at night and yeah. everything else. And uh, it was actually kind of cool. So I'm like the older guy in class. And I'm like, wow, this is what civilian college is like. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, I, it was actually a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed my, my two years at UC Denver. And... Uh, Basically, what I had to do is complete a bunch of classes I didn't complete at the academy. We don't do a lot of humanities courses <laughs> at the academy. Surprise me. 
They're like, yeah, you need to finish some humanities courses. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just knock out some humanities courses that doesn't involve figuring out how to put a rocket in a space. I mean, that was not Elon Musk, believe me. I could, I could barely calculate what two plus four was, right? So I finished that off and, uh, you know, my life changed a little bit more after that. Things started getting better. So I see an ad in the newspaper to work in the energy industry. I have no idea what that is. And uh, my family friends who were I was living with at the time, they were in the energy industry. They're like, Adam, if you want to talk about a fresh start, go for that interview. And I go for this interview for this company, and uh, they sit me down. Do you have any experience? Nope. Do you know what this is? Absolutely not. Do you know what? Welcome you, aboard. Do you even know what you're trying to do? And I'm like, <laughs> like, do you? Can you handle being with a bunch of guys in the middle of nowhere and really bad weather conditions? I'm like, sounds like the military. They're like, you're hired. Yeah. Welcome aboard, sir. So overnight, it was like fifteen thousand dollars a year to way more than that. And I'm like, I finally have the money to go hire a competent legal team. So Mr. Greifey, is still on my case. He's still my main lawyer now. I hire an NSA whistleblower guy named Herb Rubenstein in New York. Um, I start my master's program immediately. And I'm like, well, you know, if I'm going to be doing this type of work, I want to get a degree in that. So I got a master of science specific to the energy industry. And uh, it was a great experience. I actually was like learning stuff instead of like drinking from a fire hose from both yeah. ends at the academy. Now I'm like, I'm older. I know how to write. <laughs> I know how to, you know, understand what I'm actually doing. And uh, 2015 rolls around. I have my master's done. I've been in the energy industry now for three years. Things are going really well on that side. And I'm like, I'm going to give this military thing one more shot. None of the act, you know, Navy, Marines, Army, Air Force guys are like, we're not touching this. This is signed by the SECAF, bro. You're going to have to go figure this and out. And your DD-214 was the honorable? General discharge under honorable conditions, okay. right? They're like, okay, like, look, your discharge isn't bad. Like, we can get you back in. But the problem is, to override this, we have to go above the SECAF because it was signed by the SECAF. Yeah. Who was classmates with the lieutenant general who was a superintendent at the academy. And this is where that, you know, good old boys club thing, unfortunately, comes into play. So I know a lot of people give shit to the National Guard. <laughs> I walk over into their office and I'm like... Here's my stuff. I tell them the story I just told you, and they go, "You're that like Dorito guy. Like we've heard about you." My my first uh, public thing I went with the news was with Dave Phillips, and I, I guess I have to backtrack a little bit on that. In 2013, uh, the undercover informant program became exposed at the academy. Okay. By another informant, his name is Eric Thomas, and I'm like, this guy had the same exact OSI handlers I had and took over all of the cases I was working on after I left. So he had the same OSI handlers. So my cases never got finished, right? Mm -hmm. They were all under, so I, they, I left. So they did nothing with what you started. They were trying to, but they couldn't complete the investigation because I was gone. And all gotcha. those cadets were now moving to their next class year, right? So it's kind of like, we're gonna lose it in the fog of war, so to speak. So they, once the next year started, they continued following on with those investigations and Eric Thomas, was investigating the same exact cadets that I was investigating at the prep school um, and the Air Force Academy with the same exact OSI handlers, which was weird. And Eric blew the whistle on it? Yeah. Why did he decide to come forward? So he came forward because he had the same exact situation as me, but I thought, I'm just going to go through the appeals process. I'm not just going to go to the media. No one cares about my story. And they didn't. You so know. they were trying to railroad him out as well? Oh, they did the same exact thing to him. Except they kicked him out six weeks before graduation, and he couldn't finish his degree. 
Fuck. They think they learned their lesson from me. They're like, ah, this kid, we let him finish his degree. What did he get kicked out for? So he was kicked out, I believe, for demerits. You know, like, oh, you did these bad things. We're going to kick you out for demerits. Like a cumulative count of demerits? Yep. Cumulative count of demerits. Um, how often does that happen at the academy? Well, every time you get in trouble or whatever, like here's five demerits. No, no, I mean, how often does somebody get kicked out on the basis of demerits alone? I honestly don't know the statistics on that. I mean, I, it's, I would say more than a few a year. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, yeah. So he would, they would basically classify that as extremely poor performance. Sure. What that would end up looking like. You know, and I don't, I can't speak to Eric's case personally, sure. not him. Me and him have been in contact over the years because it is really odd how closely connected our cases are. How they mirrored. So he went to the news. Yeah, he went to the news. I'm like, I need to call that reporter. I was involved in Operation Gridiron, which people can look up online. It's uh, He went on ESPN and did this little video short, and it's like, yeah, that's, that, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. It's Operation Gridiron. Um, the agents that handled Eric and I were removed from the Air Force Academy on an investigation, um, and they were sent to God knows where. And a new OSI handler, Eric Enos, uh, took over for Eric Thomas at that time. Are they are the OSI investigators? Are they in the military or are they civilians? They're in the military. Okay. Yeah. Um, I believe Mike Munson was a tech sergeant, and Dave Szymanski was a captain. Um, okay. At the time. So things just start getting weird. I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't just me. There's more people involved. And then Eric starts getting contacted by people. Hey, I was working as an informant too. Soon we start discovering that there was a, there was a large ring of informants and we didn't know about each other at all. Probably Eric, probably by design. By design. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you watch uh, enough of these crime you know, shows after all, like, oh, all this stuff is starting to connect the dots. Now we're starting to connect the dots. Something's not right. They all go public. They all start trying to talk about what they're doing. And the Air Force Academy denies, oh, this not that's not what it was. Oh, you know what we're going to do to solve this problem? We're going to disband OSI at the Air Force Academy and just move it to Peterson Air Force Base Academy, at this, and, uh, Peterson Air Force Base in the Springs. So what you did was is the people who were finding all these wrong things at the Academy, you got rid of them so they can no longer investigate at the Air Force Academy. Well, that's convenient. Bam, another sex assault scandal hits, hits the airwaves. So Dave Phillips, who has been writing a lot of articles on Eddie Gallagher, was my first reporter who reported on my case. And I told Dave all of these things. It goes public in the Gazette. He was working for the Gazette at the time before he moved to the, I think he's what, New York Times now or whatever it I is. I believe so, yeah. And uh, we get a little bit of traction, but they're like, eh, nobody cares about your sexual assault. No one cares that you reported rape. No one cares that you worked for us because you're a guy. And I was like, okay. And, uh, but then I start getting contacted by other cadets at the academy. Hey, you worked for OSI. Can you tell my story? And these are cadets that are currently at the academy. Who want what happened to them to come out? Yeah, because their chain of command isn't doing anything. And it's like, this stuff is still going on. It hasn't stopped. You know, I started my investigations for OSI from 08 to 2010. This is now 2013, 14, 15 timeframe. And it hasn't stopped. All these things that are going on at the academy are still going on and nobody's doing anything about it the only thing they're doing is hiding it hiding it from the media i mean god forbid if these statistics get out for having to report sexual assault to the dod it just makes the academy look bad and you know that's the cost of loyalty the cost of loyalty at the academy is it is expected that you protect the institution at all costs whatever by whatever means that may be 
And when I graduated from OCS, I'll never forget what my platoon commander said to me. He said, when you graduate from here, when you go back to where you come from, you owe the institution something. Now it started to click with me. I'm like, this is my mission. I love the Air Force Academy. I still do. I have nothing against what happened to me there. I get it. Some of it was by my own action. I drew attention to myself. I get it. But helping resolve the problems of sexual assault and all the things that were going on at the academy, it is imperative that we fix these issues. Because if we don't, who is leading our military? How pervasive was it? I investigated personally about 30 people. 28 of them are serving as officers today. And if we're talking about what we need to do to help, what can we do to fix this place? Like I said, I love the Air Force Academy. I am proud to have so-called graduated from there. I would never change my experience for anything. It made me who I am today, and I have a massive respect for the graduate community. Most people who graduate from these academies are great officers. They're great people. They do good things. You know, and unfortunately, you get involved in the, in the machine, in the military, and some people, by the time they hit captain, if they're not going to make the major board, they decide that they're worth more in the civilian world. Yeah, they self-select. And, and those, those great officers who really are making a difference in their units, they get out. And then some of the people who make it through the system, um, not all of them, but they're the people who say yes. They're the people who the reports don't go forward. They're the reports um, that nothing is done about. And I think that draws a parallel to what happened with Specialist Vanessa Gillen. And obviously I was never stationed at Fort Hood. This is the woman that was just killed, correct? Yeah. And it's weird because if you start drawing parallels to different things that I have seen on the sexual assault side and what, you know, this person or this soldier apparently reported this, nobody did anything about it. Can you lay the parallels out? Because I'm not incredibly familiar with her case. Yeah, so her, from, from what I understand from the little bit I've read, you know, is this particular soldier had reported sexual assault she did she did okay and her chain of command kind of put it by the wayside as yeah whatever you know there was no formal complaint process started there was never an investigation this person kept harassing her and i would have guessed in the military that it would be a mandatory reporting event it is and i think what really and like i said we don't we don't know the details of the case and nor yeah, do i know I, none of them for clarity nor, nor for do i listening the only thing that i can say is what i've read Right. But what was weird is parts of her chain of command reported her present for formation. She wasn't there. You know, part of her chain of command, you know, maybe didn't do everything they could have done to stop it. Possibly. We don't know. And what I can see my parallels to the academy is there were some instances where I did intervene and I did stop it and I did report it. And nothing was done to help that person. You're talking about the victim. The victim. Yeah. Um, some of those people never graduated from the academy. Some of them just quit. They couldn't mentally take it anymore because they were sexually assaulted and they felt like everyone was against them because they were trying to report sexual assault and they were railroaded out of the academy. And that's, that's not the type of officers that we want. You know, if, if you're going to be an officer, you know, you take a solemn oath of the greater love concept. If you're not willing to do what is right for your people, because you do, in fact, love them as your commander or whatever it is, 
then what are you, what is your true objective point at being an officer? You're going to complete the mission, but you need to make sure that your people trust you and want to follow you and want to do those things. But if that essence of careerism is pervasive in the ranks and now things aren't being done to help those soldiers or those airmen, marines, and sailors complete the mission and they have a lack of confidence in their chain of command, then what kind of environment is that creating for us? And I think that's that's a dangerous threshold that you know has been brought to light more recently. Um, I lucked out. So when I went into the National Guard's office, they were aware of my case, you know, and they sat me down and said, well, here's the thing. We can get you back in, but you have to do a few things. And I said, what is that? They said, one, you have to go into this specialized unit. Okay. Two, you have to have this specific MOS. Okay. Which is a military occupational specialty, specialty. Yep. job title yep. for people. Listening. And uh, I had jump experience at the academy, so I decided I was going to go be a rigger for this unit. And they said, on top of that, since you had a three-year break in service, since I got out in 2010, mm-hmm. you're going to go be uh, a basic training. Copy that. So they put me in at the highest rank they could, and they threw me into basic training. I report to uh, Fort Jackson in 2015. And I go do basic training, and uh, it was kind of funny because even the drill instructors were like, why is this dude here? <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, pull me into their office one day, and they're like, hey, uh, Dorito, we looked you up, and uh, you working for CID? <laughs> and I'm just like... Valid question Valid at that question, point. sir. Uh, no, actually, I'm actually here to serve my country, and I just want to do my job. I'm here to get through the training required from the unit that I'm assigned to. Yeah, whatever, man. We got our eyes on you. Copy that, Staff Sergeant. Whatever. Cool, man. And yeah, uh, Let's just drive on with our fucking Yeah, we don't day. care, man. It's, it's basic <laughs> training, man. They don't yeah. care. They're, it's a factory down there, right? So we, uh, I go to airborne school, and, you know, because my wings from the Air Force Academy don't count in the real military, even though you did five freefall jumps. Uh, they don't count in the Marines. Freefall jumps or static? Yeah, freefall. Five freefall jumps yep. should count for five. exactly two things. Jack and shit. Exactly. Let's be very clear about exactly. that. So and I'm I, glad you went back to Benning. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think that someone like you would probably know the yeah. factors on that. Uh, a lot of Air Force uh, cadets who go from the go from the academy actually do graduate and wear their wings because they're authorized by the Air Force Academy. After those five jumps? Yep. And yeah. I'm just like, yeah, I wouldn't tell anybody in the Army Fuck that. those people. <laughs> five jumps is not a good amount of experience. No, and I'm not going to lie. I still have the videos for my free fall jumps. They're yeah. terrible. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even know how I... You basically, it sounds like you went through AFF where people were holding on to you. Oh, no. The, the, it's You just jump out with a shoot with no, with no one with you. Your first time ever. So my first time ever jumping out of an airplane was by myself with a free fall shoot and I had no idea what I was doing and I was hoping to God that I didn't die. It was... Uh, Only in the military does that training pipeline make sense. It was green, blue, green, blue, green, 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 pole yeah. and... Hooray! I wow. survived. Okay. So I go to I go to Benning, and um, the cool thing was when I was at Benning at jump school, was it was all uh, special forces support guys, MARSOC, SEALs, and uh, and a few other cool dudes. Right. So they're all in their training pipelines doing whatever. So it, it was fun. It was cool. I hung out most of the time. I hung out with the MARSOC guys, and I hung out with the SEALs. And uh, you know, we go out and we get ready for PT, and we go do this thing, and we're on jump three. And the weather just fucking sucks. And we get we run to the airfield in the morning and we sit in that shed for like fifteen fucking hours. And probably jocked up too. Oh huh? uh, dude, we can't pee. Yeah. They won't let us take our shit off because they won't they, they don't, don't want to give you another JMPI. No, absolutely <laughs> not. This I see this like Sergeant First Class, 
whip out a plastic bag and just, I'm pissing myself right now. And just sits there and does hey, it. Hey, man, solve the problem you yep. have in front of you. Yep. And uh, so the entire shed smells like piss and poop because I'm pretty sure people are pooping themselves at this point. It's 15 hours of sitting in that shed. Yeah. C-130 shows up. There's a break in the weather. Bam, let's go to jump. Third jump, we have like two more days to finish our five so we can go to our next training assignment, right? So they're just trying to get us out of the goddamn airplane. And we get in the C-130 and we go up. And uh, four hours, we're doing circles. They can't, Fuck. they can't find a window, you know. They and like, all right, we got a window. And the person next to me leans over to one of the, the seals and just throws up right in his lap. And he just goes, "Oh, bro," <laughs> and just like, "Oh, bro." And then everyone down the plane God just starts throwing up. So we've been in this plane for four hours. Everyone's Ugh. throwing up. It just—it's like an old C-130 that just smells like burning hydraulic fluid. That's because there's hydraulic fluid burning. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, I'm on the first stick. Thank you, God. I don't even care if the chute opens at this time. Just get me out, out of the, of the plane. plane. I hook up, and we're like sprinting towards the door to get out. And the second I hit the door, red light, red light, red light, hand in front. I'm like, nope, I'm gone. I committed. Hey, I committed. I've taken my life into my own hands at this point. I turn and I jump. And as I did that, the plane hit bad turbulence. So the right wing comes up. I'm going out the right side door. My chute instantaneously comes out of the deployment bag, but then like slinkies back on itself. And I'm out the door and I kind of feel an opening shock. And I'm the last guy out the door. And it's like, look around for your fellow jumpers. And I'm like, I am way, way below everybody else. And I look up and I have like a partially inflated chute. And I'm like, and I see like the Humvee driving towards me and they're yelling on the megaphones. Probably time to deploy hey, your reserve. dumbass, pull your reserve. And I'm like, oh yeah, ground, okay. <laughs> pull my reserve and uh, it like slinkies out because I'm like just not going fast enough or it won't instantly deploy, but then it finally deploys and it takes the tension off my lines. My shoot inflates and I hit the ground with two full shoots. <laughs> I lucked out, I got really lucky. And uh, then I got yelled at for opening my reserve and I'm like, it's your. That's the jumper's yeah, I, call. I made my decision. Yeah. I pulled it, and I didn't break my legs. And that's the jumper's call. If you want to pull your reserve, you pull your reserve. There's a time and place to not do that. Yeah. But it's your decision as the jumper. I would agree. And uh, so great. I go, I go finish rigor school. I come back to my unit, and uh, we go out to Utah, and we were training on the new RA1 system. So we're replacing Raider the MC4. Intruder. Yeah. So we're replacing the MC4 at this time in our unit. So we have to go off to do our new pack training. So we go out to Utah with the battalion out there. And uh, we're out having a good time on the town that night after training class, and I meet up with a bunch of Apache guys. Uh, there's uh, an Apache unit out in Utah. And I sit down, I kind of was telling the chief warrant officers my story, like, oh, you know, I've kind of heard about you. Like, I'm like this mystical unicorn somewhere in the military. I don't know why, but I guess my name comes up every once in a while. You know, you should come talk to our commander. So I go and interview with him, and he goes, I want you to put it in your packet. He goes, you want to be an officer? I'm going to let you come in as a chief warrant officer. I'll let you, I'll give you your dream back and you can go fly. Now it's going to be Apaches, you know, but hey, Apaches and Apache. Yeah, still I off mean, the ground. Fucking cool as shit, right? So I go tell my unit this and my battalion commander, my company commander, full support, especially given the circumstances. I'm from like, your guard unit. Yep, from yep. my guard unit. So in, since everything has been going on for the past two years, so I've been in the unit for two years at this time, they're just like, man, I'm glad it's all working out for you. And I'm really glad that you're going to get your shot. And I go down to Fort Carson. And like we said before, get to the final duty station with the doctor. And I have seven psychological conditions. 
what doesn't make any sense is why didn't this come up in MEPS? You know, like we've mentioned before, why wasn't any of this caught until I wanted to put in a commissioning packet to go fly? It seems really weird and vindictive and on purpose, but the army has no control over this. They're like, Hey man, this is, this is done by the air force. Were the doctor's names on there who put down those conditions? Yes. Yes, they were. So the army goes, all right, because of the nature of your work and who you work with, we're going to go give you a third independent evaluation because we need to be sure. Yeah. Hey, this is what your record says. We got to go be sure, man. Copy that, sir. Roger that. Go take my evaluation. Nothing no, Nothing comes back. Negative. So the Air Force and Colorado, um, was told by the Colorado National Guard, well, he's our soldier. He is in our unit. He holds you know, this clearance and his records are inaccurate and we need you to change them. No. Why? It begs the question of, if you know the record's wrong, if we demonstrated the records are wrong, why won't you change them? Well, how did they get in your record in the first place? We don't know. Did you ever go see Sykes and Shrinks to have those evaluations done? The only time that I ever had that experience was I was at the academy. I did that initial click button test with that senior airman, and yeah. they came back negative and there was nothing there. That was the only time I ever had somewhat of an interaction of a psychological test done in the Air Force. That seems like a stretch to say that seven conditions would come from that click oh, test. And, and they were very uh, descriptive, you know, and uh, all these conditions that we have. So I do a FOIA request. I'm like, I want all of these records. And for people listening, that's freedom yeah, of information. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I want all these records. I want everything. And no response. Okay. So we f show that these records from the Army are showing these psychological conditions from the Air Force. My lawyers draft a letter, and I march literally, this is seven years, so I can go back on base. Put my uniform on, I march right into the superintendent's office. And I said, uh, you are being given this letter, and what it states is, we know that you falsified my medical records. Now, this. the guy you're talking to obviously was not involved with this. No. Okay. It was the vice superintendent at okay. the time. Uh, we are aware that these medical records have been falsified. We are requesting that be changed. And if you comply with that order, uh, also with, from the request of the National Guard, uh, we will not file a federal lawsuit. And two weeks later, we get a letter back. No. Weird. Interesting. It doesn't make any sense. And we're like, why do, they, why do you guys want to fight this? Like, granted, I understand my story at the Academy. It's confusing. It's not pleasant. Most people could care less. Let's forget about all of those things. The fact of the matter is, is that my medical records were falsified. There's no refuting it. They're in black and white with names, dates, and timestamps. And the thing to make it worse is that those records were date and timestamped a year after I was discharged from active duty. What? Exactly. They this were making entries in your medical record a year after you'd been discharged? Yes. Okay. And I can prove it. Because I have them right here. I don't, yeah, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Now it's starting to make sense why I was pushed out so fast. I was given four hours to get off base. I was never given my records. Nothing. I was given a DD-214 that listed 26 June 2010. My medical records were modified in 11 June 2011 without my knowledge. Or anything, not are, a, even a phone call. Are they saying that you saw a doctor in 2011? They were saying I saw that doctor, and not only did I see her, 
I saw her at Fort Carson, which is an army base. That's impossible. I was never stationed at Fort Carson. Does she even actually exist? Have you tracked that down? So we did look up her medical license. We need to find who this person is. Yeah. Dr. Kristen Nicole Henley Price did not have a medical license to practice in the state of Colorado until 2012. What the fuck, man? So this person, who I have never met, I have no idea who she is, went into my medical records a year after I was discharged, lists seven major psychological disorders without a medical license, and I did not even find out about this until I tried to apply to be an Apache helicopter pilot in 2017. Was she working on Fort Carson in 2011? No. She was an Air Force doctor, apparently, or maybe an Air Force doctor in training. We don't know. It's a hard pill to swallow. And like I said, you can take everything that happened to me at the academy, sexual assault, whatever. You could throw it out the window. What it comes down to is a person who I had never met, who never properly diagnosed me, who didn't have a medical license, put in detrimental information that prevented me from commissioning and flying. And, and does, the, does the government admit this? Yes. That's where it gets even worse. So we applied again to the Air Force, you know, Military Records Review Board. We have the evidence. He's not, he doesn't have these disorders. The Army fully supports him. He's serving in this unit so that he definitely can't have those disorders. And this unit wants him to go fly. And the only thing that's stopping him is the Air Force. You know, because Fort Rucker's not going to take me with the second, even though the Army's in full agreement. They need them to be taken off. Yeah. So we file with the 10th District Court. We filed a federal lawsuit with the 10th District Court, and they came back with a, with a motion to dismiss, granted to the Air Force Academy. And they said, because there is no rule, procedure, or law defining if the U.S. military can or cannot change your records as a civilian, and there's nothing to rule on, we are not going to rule on it at this time. And that... That sounds like an incredibly legalese answer. That is incredibly scary. Two weeks after that motion to dismiss was granted, I get my FOIA request after three years from the Air Force Academy with my medical records. Not only does it list that sh the date and timestamps even in more detail about how she changed it, the entire narrative of these psychological things is not an actual psychological evaluation of me. It's simply my commander's words. My commander stated that apparently the reason why I was given that initial test, right? Well, Cadet Dorito wants to join the Marine Corps, join the infantry, and go kill people. So we're going to make him take this test. And I'm like, well, that's funny because I never wanted to join the infantry. I had an air contract. So right then and there, we know that, you know, someone's putting words on paper in this thing. And that was for the reason to take that test. But even after I had taken that test, it shows in the chronological sequence there was no diagnosis at all. Even the Air Force Academy said, yeah, there's no diagnosis from your official cadet record. But then you look at the next page and you flip through it and you go, 2011, mental diagnosis on XYZ. And not only that, I'm listed as a major as my rank. That's awesome. Do you get any back pay yeah, for that? See, that's why I asked. So <laughs> right here it says Adam Dorito, rank major. And then right after that, it lists all these false diagnoses. So they were, 
let's let me see if I can figure this out. Yeah. So the doctor was taking the word, or was receiving information from your AOC mm -hmm. about you. Without ever speaking to you, and made a medical diagnosis a year after you left the military. Correct. What's even more odd to me about that is that I can't imagine that your medical record was at the top of some pile a year after you had been gone because ah, it's a machine, it? right? They have a whole class after class after class. Exactly, and that's the really concerning part. Is I don't know who this doctor is. Who is she? And better yet, have you been able to find her or tried to like find her in person? So we were able to find her with a private investigator, and apparently she's stationed down somewhere in Texas. And when he originally served this lawsuit, I had the sheriff's department server at her house, and she got really scared, from what I was told, and she initially contacted the U.S. Attorney's Office and demanded protections as a government employee. So my case went from. Adam Dorito versus the United States Air Force Academy and John Doe's 1 through 50 being the people that may have been involved in my investigation Okay. to Adam Dorito versus the United States of America, which is ridiculous because I love this country. <laughs> Nothing I would want to do more than be involved in a court That's case. That's an interesting that. move, though. It's interesting how everyone involved in my case has demanded protections from the U.S. Attorney's Office at this time. They won't talk. Uh, for example, um, that vice prep school commander who I know influenced unlawfully, you know, unlawful command influenced his cadets to say these things or write those statements against me. We offered him an out. Tell us who told you to do that. Tell us who told you to write those statements against this cadet. I told this doctor. Who told you to change the records? I know it's not you. We don't even know each other. You know? Who is involved? Who else is involved? No one will talk. And all, a lot of the people that are involved in my case... And I'm still great friends with a lot of people at the academy. And some of the people that were really important in my case either speak out loudly and agree with the academy. Cadet Dorito was a terrible person, and everything they say about him is true, even though I don't even know who they are, or I maybe knew them for five minutes in passing in the hallway. Or they go, Dorito, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I have a kid. I have a wife. Too much to I got lose. A I got a pilot slot. I'm not going against the machine, man. It sucks what happened to you. But I wish you the best. And when CSNBC got involved, Jennifer Janish and Nora O'Donnell started interviewing some of those cadets I had brought up previously who were telling me information afterwards, right? I'm like, I can give you all the OSI information you want. Here's who you need to contact, who you need to interview. Let's talk about it. And this is when sexual assault became important again at the academy. And even the lieutenant general came on the news and was talking about, you know, trying to solve sexual assault at the Air Force Academy. And what was really bothersome was that they didn't want to get me involved because, like, once again, like, your case is old and you're a male and no one's going to listen to you, even though I've been compiling this information. Like I said, at this point, I realized it's not, it's not just me anymore, you know, and there was a pattern of behavior. All of these other cadets who had reported sexual assault were having their medical records changed, saying that they had psychological conditions. And the reason that we can only speculate of why they were doing this is because it delegitimizes the investigation. Well, if this person is reporting sexual assault, but this person obviously is deemed psychologically incompetent, that sexual assault never happened, and we don't have to report it. How many people do you know of that have had that medical six. condition? I know six for a fact who 
have come to me over the years and they were raped or they were sexually assaulted. They reported it and they had mental diagnoses put into their medical record that either one, made them leave the Air Force, or two, reclassified them into a different job that prevented them from flying or doing something with a clearance or something to that effect. And three, lowered the reporting requirements of sexual assault. Not the reporting requirements, the reporting statistics at the and Air Force Academy. It just makes the, uh, the line chart a little bit lower. You know, oh, the Air Force Academy's got 30% reduction in assaults. Well, do you? Or are you just hiding something? And I'm not just speculating when I say that. There was a DOD IG investigation that came out in 2018. A sexual Assault Response Coordination Center that I worked with, some of the members there, they were all fired in one day. This person was a whistleblower and they came forward. Civilian or civilian? A okay. Civilian. They came forward and said, some of these records are not being reported. Some of the, something's not right here. The DOD IG investigation came back and said, well, we did find that some of the reports were not being reported properly, but there is no way that people who reported sexual assault were retaliated against. And unfortunately, that's because they're investigating themselves. <laughs> if the Air Force Academy IG is coming back and saying, well, we did nothing wrong, and what we did giving out those punishments was correct, you know, but yeah, we hit some reports and didn't put the numbers up there. That's concerning. It's very what you're concerning. describing is a complete and utter shit show. It's, and like I said, when I first showed up at the Air Force Academy, you, you walk around that place and you see these monuments of men and women who came before you. I mean, the brushed steel and aluminum all around that place is, it's fantastic 1950s architecture. It's awe-inspiring. You get there and you're just overwhelmed with like, I am to take charge and be the next generation. And what the Air Force Academy stands for really holds a purpose in this nation. We need the academies. We do. We, we need those places to uphold the values of our military and lead our men and women in combat or whatever assignment they may go to. But what it comes down to is that there's only a small percentage of people that when it starts to affect their careers, it starts to affect their image, or it may affect maybe their next PCS station, that it seems that vindictive actions are taken. And it's dangerous because, I mean, there's three things I can think of off the top of my head, just isolating it back to my case. You know, if an Air Force-affiliated doctor is doing this, then what else are they going to do? The funny thing is, is we ended up getting a letter back from that Air Force Records Review Panel. And there was an Air Force-affiliated doctor who even stated, the evidence does not substantiate these diagnoses and they should be removed. However, he should not be given his degree or commission. <laughs> that is what the final Air Force Records Review Panel said. So they admitted to falsifying my records, but they said, yeah, well, we're still not going to give you anything back that you earned. Which, in your situation, would still be okay because that would allow you to continue your dream and sure. go fly. At this point, I have my master's degree. I have another undergrad. And what I've learned over the years is, well, a degree is a degree and a commission is a commission, honestly. Yeah. You know, and I just want to go fly. That's all I want to go do. And all I had to do is get this one medical record changed. And I'm with the Army now. The Army's been very good to me. They have. Uh, they've allowed me to work my civilian job, and they've allowed me to have fun on the side and still contribute to the mission. And they won't do it. And if an Air Force-affiliated doctor is admitting 
that I was wrongfully diagnosed with several psychological disorders, then why won't the Air Force fix them? How, what would that look like? How does the Air Force fix your medical record? Uh, someone goes in the computer and deletes those files and makes an annotation and sends it back to the Army. It's literally someone maybe taking 10 minutes of their time. So it's not a Herculean effort on no. the Air Force's side. No. But why won't they do it? It doesn't make any sense. And do you know of anybody else who's had something like this happen yes. to that's prevented them from? Yeah, there I, I know of. I won't mention their cases or names specifically because they are still dealing with it as well. But um, I know one person in particular where it pulled their pilot slot. It put them in a job they didn't want to be in and made them miserable for five years. And they just five and dived and got out. It prevented them from ever deploying. It prevented them from doing anything. They were stuck stateside in a desk job for five years and took away their dreams of anything they wanted to do. And another thing to this is, why did the Air Force change my medical records a year after I was discharged? That's scary. Because does this mean that they can do this to any veteran? And can a service component change them without notifying you or the VA? Because the first rule of being a doctor is first do no harm, right? Why are they doing this? I mean, I left with my medical records. I didn't. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know how they would modify my medical record. I don't, you know. That's concerning, right? Because according to the motion to dismiss that Chief Justice Bremer had given us, the military can do this because there's no policy saying that they can't, which is an arbitrary legal jargon way of getting out of taking responsibility and holding accountability to the executive branch because, you know, the executive branch falls under the military. We tried getting Congress involved. We tried getting Cory Gardner. We tried getting Michael Bennett, Kirsten Gillibrand, Scott Garrett, Jackie Spears, all these people that are projecting change in military sexual assault. And not one of them will do anything for my case, despite the fact that I have overwhelming evidence that I was retaliated against for reporting sexual assault overwhelming evidence like this isn't arbitrary this isn't he said she said and even if you take my personal sexual assault case completely out of the equation if you take the article 15 and frat thing completely out of the equation i have a black and white document that states a name a date a time and a place of a person who changed my medical record when i was a civilian and i never knew about it until i tried to go fly for the army six years later what do those people say when you approach them, all the names you just listed? No reply. Really? I have gotten a few emails back from staffers, and then at the end of the day, it's male sexual assault. You're not a soundbite, man. I can't imagine that's their actual response. <laughs> that would be a yeah. dangerous email for somebody to send. Um, they don't say those exact words. It's either the Air Force Academy says you're a terrible person, and we believe them, and good luck to you. And those emails I do have. And what other options do you have at this point? Like what avenues can you still explore? And that's, that's the last thing I, I really want to talk about is who will hold them accountable? You know, according to the motion to dismiss, the military has no civilian oversight. Apparently the judicial system can't come in and say what the military did was wrong. And we're going to correct this. I have always heard as a service member, you cannot sue the military. And that comes from the Ferris Doctrine. And the Ferris Doctrine has been made in my case as a statement saying, well, there was medical malpractice, we're not responsible. And according, I believe it was Sergeant First Class Steichel, 
Uh, he's recently gotten the law changed where now you can appeal Ferris Doctrine decisions. Interesting. Yes. Um, good on him. Very happy for that law being passed. And now you can file medical malpractice claims against the military, um, but they are still being handled internally, which you're just going to get stuck in a quagmire of paperwork and whatever else. We did file a petition with that that section of the military now. Obviously, we haven't heard anything back. Um, but it, then it comes into, is the military just going to do whatever they want? And apparently the courts and the legislator are not going to get involved because the military is projecting this, that it's going to harm, you know, undue influence in your chain of command. And, you know, you know, it's going to disturb the ranks. You know, if, if you successfully sue the military, then everyone's going to sue the military and it's going to get rid of good order and discipline. I would disagree. I would disagree, too. I think the number of people who would actually have a suit against the military is very, very, very small. But the people that do have a suit against the military have so for legitimate reasons. Absolutely. Um, And that's and like I said, after all these years, after 10 years, the only thing I've ever wanted to do and I still do is to serve my country. I'm not asking for much. I only thing I've asked for is someone to care is for someone to sit there and go, well, maybe we should just change his records. And let him move on with his life. You know, I've never asked for anything more than what I've earned. And the last avenue we have right now is we're going to the 10th District Court of Appeals. And there's two ways that can go. The 10th District Court of Appeals can come back and say that Chief Justice Bremer was wrong in his decision. And that the judicial can get involved, even though the procedure may not be specifically listed as in... Well, we don't have a law that says we can't falsify your medical records, so we're just not going to rule on it. That seems like a very dangerous precedent. Very set. dangerous. And like I said, who are the people that can afford to do this? I have been blessed and I've been very fortunate that I have had a very successful career in the energy industry. But I promise you, I have put all of my financial being towards this case. Yeah. And it has been extremely expensive. And even if you are afforded the opportunity to fly, you're not going to get that money back. Never. And we are just hoping that we are going to help set true case precedent that says the military doesn't have, does in fact have civilian oversight, that they can't just do whatever they want because someone might have had too big of an ego and made those mistakes when they were younger. Right? Like I said, I'm not perfect. I made my mistakes. and As I, we all did. And I regret those things when I was a cadet. You know? I was a fuckwit in my God. teens, late teens and 20s. Believe me, I did everything I could to tarnish the reputation of the SEAL community as often as I could. <laughs> I understand, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I- I've sought penance for what I've done, you know. But retrospectively, I love the military. I love serving this country. And, you know, putting that flag on your uniform really means something. And I, I-, I-, I shit you not, man. I hear the national anthem. I still get chills down my spine when I'm standing on. I the, still cry half the time when I'm standing. Obviously, in, I'm wearing fucking dark sunglasses, so yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Jeez, one of the most disturbing parts of everything that you just described. Believe me, it, it, it's very hard for me to sit here and absorb and listen to this and process this in real time. Like I'm gonna have As fucking, with most people. I'm gonna have fucking follow up questions for months on this. Please do. But the. No, I mean, like, my brain won't be able to shut off about it. No, you can just tell me about your when your brain doesn't shut off, and then, like, I'll just, like, email you and go, it's okay, go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the... 
the medical me record entry, I don't understand. I don't understand why they would do that a year after you were out of the military. So when I left, I had my medical record and my service record, and I went and I got my DD-214. Yep. None of that happened to me. Which I can, and again, I don't know how you got ejected in four hours. That is, I mean, you are enlisted in the military when you're at the academy, right? No, you're, you have like this arbitrary thing in the UCMJ where you're not enlisted, but you're not an officer. You're considered on cadet or midshipman status, according to the UCMJ. So you are getting paid yeah. to be there. That might be how they were able to eject you so quickly. Because you weren't under an enlistment contract. Or were you? Well, you are under a contract. Okay. So you do sign a contract when you get there, basically saying that if you don't complete your four years or you don't do your five years of mandatory service afterwards, you owe X amount of dollars back, right? Which is not only what happened to me, but they also withheld the degree that I completed. Yeah. but And so I leave the military, right? I left the last day of June in 2013. I would imagine that the military thought about me for precisely zero fucking seconds after I left. Precisely. Because nobody gave a shit because the military is a wheel that is moving down the road. Exactly. And I think you've, like you said, you've addressed this before. You know, is a... Uh, there's another guy to pick up your spot and keep on moving. Oh. We, we have shit to do. They tell you we that they don't want you to, to leave, drop. and it's, God damn it, you are the, the weak. You know, if you leave, it's going to be the weak leak. And they're like, oh, you do you have a heartbeat? Get over here. Yeah. And the wheel keeps going. Exactly. I understand why they do that, and I, to a degree, you know, you can kind of appreciate it because it plays towards your ego. But I don't know why they would take the time to add that. That It's the timing aspect to me that doesn't make any sense. Yep. It's, it's like someone has put this file, and I... You know, there's a part of me that still believes that, you know, that degree, that fancy diploma I paid for, they still haven't given me the money back for that either. It's sitting on a wooden plaque and it's sitting, it's still sitting in the superintendent's office on a file cabinet. I don't think they ever made you a certificate. I paid for it, you know, so they obviously made it. They just, we just don't know where it is. It Um, might be in very small pieces in a landfill. Probably, you know, (laughs) they took my $90 and ran with it, right? Fuck. But um, what bothers me is the amount of effort that the Air Force and the Air Force Academy and the officers that were involved in my case have gone through for a decade to make sure that this is squashed and is not talked about and is delegitimized in the eyes of the public. That AOC you had, is he still active duty? Yes, he's actually assigned to the Pentagon right now, and he was promoted. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're talking 10 years ago. That's if the people stayed in the military. They have ascended the ladder Mm -hmm. from that time period. Yep. And like I said, um, it is not my place to call out individuals and who they are and what their names are. That's not the purpose of me talking to you today. You know, I think it was a it was a fear induced action. I can speculate on who that person who may have directed those things to make those people do those things for whatever reason. But why a year later? Why? Exactly. We don't had you, have had you communicated that. with them in that year since you had left or were you God, just moving no. forward trying no. to continue on your life? Yeah, that's it, man. I moved on with my life and I was like, all right, I will follow the correct procedure. I will fill out the paperwork to make an appeal to the SECAF whenever I can find the money to do that. You know, but for the most part, I left. I, I didn't even go back down to Colorado Springs until maybe 2014. That's so, four years. I stayed north of Denver Yeah, in my own little world because I didn't even want to go back down there. What are your options if the 10th Circuit appeals does not go your way? Supreme Court. And this is the strategy of the military and the Air Force and the U.S. Attorney's Office. They know it costs a lot of money to go to the Supreme Court. And they know 
they can just wait me out. They're like, he'll run out of money eventually. He'll lose his support base and he will go by the wayside and disappear. After our last uh, motion to dismiss, the 10th District Court came back and they actually mandated mediation between the Air Force, the Air Force Academy and myself. Really? Yes. Which is weird because they granted the motion to dismiss, but they still granted- And basically said you guys need to sit down and talk. Right. And what was weird was- Did you guys do that? Yeah. And here's the thing. You know, I can't talk about specifics. I'm not allowed to. Um, like I said, I asked for nothing more than what I earned. I'm like, look, I'll go away. I have a career in the Army. I plan on commissioning in the Army, you know, once this gets fixed. Now, whether I fly or not at this point, you know, it's hard for me to give up 60% of my pay to go back and go fly, to be honest, at this point. I do, you know, fly a little bit in the civilian world still, you know, belong to a flying club. Yeah. You know, keep the adrenaline going every now and then. And I jump out of planes once a month. So whatever, you know, um, I have a great fiance. She's been massively supportive of me over the years. Um, you know, one of the reasons we haven't gotten married yet is because of this case. And this case is very expensive. You know, when you get a $15,000 legal bill and you're like, well, I guess I'm not flying this month or doing anything. Yeah. You know, but you know, I'll work some more overtime. I'll make it work. If you end up being victorious in your endeavors in the courtroom, do they have to pay your lawyer fees? Can you get some of that money back? It would be nice. We've requested it. Okay. Um, but it's even gotten to the point where it's like, I have been willing to just like, hey, just give me what you owe me. To just, just change the record, man. Please. I think that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Minus the hundreds of thousands of dollars I've put into this case. Who showed up from the Air Force at the mediation? At a broad level, you don't have to give me names. Yeah, I'm was, curious who they would send as a representative. So it was the U.S. Attorney's Office representing an unnamed person in the Air Force, and I can only imagine Jesus who that person Christ. was. And, you know, they talked to us for about an hour. We listed the case, the precedent, everything's going on. They go back, they talk to them for like three hours. And they come back, we're like, well, they talked to them for like a long time. Hey, maybe this is going to be behind us. Basically, the short answer was kick rocks. We dare you. Keep going. And that's the scariest part of this is that I know they're doing this to me, but how many other people has this happened to? Or how many people have given up? How many people I got sexually assaulted or I might have had a record change that I need to change and I can't get this done because the military just changed it and they just don't have the means to fight it. They just disappear by the wayside. And I would tell you, I'd probably say like 99% of the people couldn't afford to do that. And it takes not only a lot of monetary investment, but the emotional investment that it has taken on me and my family. It, it hurts. You know, it's, it's been a decade and it's like, you're just the guy that wasn't good enough. You know, well, the Air Force says this and that's what it is. You know, Christmas and Thanksgiving sometimes can get awkward. <laughs> yeah. You know? Fuck, I bet. And, uh, you know, what we're, what we're hoping with this is that people realize this isn't just about getting justice in my case or the case of those other cadets. It's, we need to ensure that this never happens again. And we need to set a precedent to make people care because, you know, why should people care? Well, if we're going to give the military undue power to just change your records when they don't like you and then have a massive financial and emotional impact on that person's life. I mean, I know cadets who've committed suicide. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't surprise me, actually. You know, I, I know people who haven't made it through this process, you know, and 
I just hope that they can gain the strength from, you know, listening to us talk that reach out to me. I can, I can help point you in the right direction. I can get you in contact with the right people. And I'm hoping that we can get a voice in Congress. I mean, I know the senators and Congress people I've dealt with have not cared, but heck, hey, Dan, Dan Crenshaw, you know, shoot me an email. Maybe you can help us. Maybe get this on the table somewhere. Maybe launch an official congressional inquiry that will get somewhere versus the simple response of where the military goes, no, they were just bad people. Everything we said is correct. Everything they're saying is wrong. And then Congress goes, yeah, we're not going to touch that because that's what they said about you. And that's what we've gotten to. You know, that's what we want people to do is, you know, demand that Congress do a congressional investigation. Get these senators involved. You know, we've seen the big progress made with that specialist who lost her life down at Fort Hood. And we're hoping that, and it's starting to draw other people out of the woodwork now. There's all these other people telling similar stories. How long has this been going on? Yeah, it seems to be the way that it happens, right? There's the tree gets shaken a little bit, and then and a lot, yeah, stuff starts starts coming out in droves. And and the the academy's response and the military's response to me in the past has been, well, you were just you're just a bad apple, you know, or these people that committed sexual assault over here, they were just bad apples. Well, they're all coming from the same area. So, what point do we look at the tree and realize that we might have a poisonous tree? At what point are we going to find the root of the problem? At what point are we going to plant something different? At what point are we going to, you know, formulate a new way forward so our military remains trustworthy within the chain of commands? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people lose faith in their chain of command where it seems like they don't care. Now, obviously, that doesn't apply to every unit in every situation. You know, my unit has been amazingly supportive at every level for me. You know, but I can't say that for some of the other commands I've been assigned to in the past. Yeah. You know, where... It's a mixed bag for sure. It is. And a lot of it has to do with personality, Yeah, how that person came to be, what grudges they may hold against other people. Or the command structure. You know, you got the enlisted leadership, the the officer leadership, how they interface together, the bias or experience that they bring to the table. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. I've worked for great leaders and for very shitty leaders, too. Yeah. So we're hoping that, you know, if we can bring public attention to this, if we can get people of Congress who really care to take another look at this and the other cases that have been involved in this case, you know, whether it's Eric Thomas, myself, or, you know, Specialist Gillen, or whoever else has similar situations where we report sexual assault, chain of command doesn't do anything, bad things happen. Why? Let's find out the reason why. You know, and public scrutiny on our court system is going to be important in this. We've seen a lot of critical Supreme Court decisions being made in the past few weeks, you know, whatever that may be. We can only hope that people do the same thing with the 10th District Court. Chief Justice Bremer needs to be held accountable for giving that motion to dismiss. The fact that he didn't rule on anything that was mentioned in that brief, and he simply just ruled saying, well, there's no rule saying the military can't change your medical records, so we're not going to rule. He might not have had the legal authority to make a different We don't know. Decision. We don't know. You yeah. know? I mean, I, trust me, I'm no lawyer, but at the sure. same time, who knows what his actual, I mean, because the law has boundaries as well. Sure. You know, but like I said, I think that needs to change because otherwise this is going to keep happening again and again and again. And it, I, I honestly believe it makes our forces less effective. If people know that they're going to join the military and they theoretically something bad can happen to them and they have no recourse for those things, then what's going to encourage people who want to serve or the right people who want to serve? What kind of other people is that going to attract? You know, and we hope that uh, there is a new superintendent coming into the Air Force Academy and he has amazing accolades. His name is Lieutenant General Richard Clark. And he seems like a much more open person to not being a public affairs officer. But 
helping those cadets develop into amazing officers and future leaders. And we're hoping Which that- Which is pe- what that academy is supposed to be. You know, and part of me, I really still believe that that's what the place is. You know, I think that certain people have been involved in certain politics that have affected its reputation, but it is not representative of what the academy is at its core. And that goes for every academy. Yeah. Um, and we honestly hope that the SECAF is going to finally take this case seriously, you know, and because they, they just keep denying it and the U.S. Attorney's Office keeps overriding it. And we also want people to contact the U.S. Attorney General's Office. You know, Susan Prose has been involved in this case and has constantly kicked it to the curb and is just waiting for us to give up and run out of money. That's all she wants. You know, and that's, that's, that's just scary as that's how this case is being treated. And like I said, going back to it is this is such a simple fix that will cost the government basically no money to go in and just change the record, man. Just change it. Or I would even say describe it as return it to what it was before. Sure. You know, the Army controls me now. The Army, I am their soldier. I am in that unit. I serve my country in that capacity. They know who I am. They know what I'm capable of. And they damn sure hell know where I'm going to be going. Let them have the authority to change that record or do whatever they want to do. The fact that the Air Force is withholding the Army from providing for their own soldier is ridiculous. Yeah, I'd love to meet with that uh, female doctor, too. I'd have some questions. We would love to meet with her, too, uh, (laughs) because we don't know who she is. I mean, we discovered this in 2017, and what we've gotten through the briefs in the court system is she insists she's met with me. She insists that she is correct. But there's no record of the test. There's no record or notes, you know, as a psychologist, you have to keep notes. You have to keep session notes. Like all this is like legally binding as a psych- as a licensed and you've psychologist. Never physically been to the duty station that she was assigned to. Well, she was apparently stationed at the Air Force Academy, so technically I was there, but I never went anywhere to meet this person. But the medical record says I was met at Fort Carson by her. I was never assigned to Fort Carson at the Air Force Academy. I promise you that. <laughs> it's not in the army. Yeah. Um. And it's just, it's really weird. It doesn't make any sense. And we are hoping that, you know, through all of these things that the Academy takes an initiative to help fix the situation, that the Air Force fixes the situation, and that I not only can I move on with my life, but maybe all those other people that were involved, you know, over the years, maybe they'll find some refuge and justice in what happened to them and that they can move on with their life too. You know, like I mentioned before, putting that flag on your shoulder means nothing more to me. Like, there's nothing more important. Standing on the standing on the door of a CH-47, getting ready to jump out and go do whatever we're going to do. God damn, that's the best feeling in the world. I have to agree. So how can people get a hold of you? Um, we are launching a website. That's adamdorito.com, D-E-R-I-T-O. Not the chips, people. Not the chips. Not the chips. Uh, uh, pe- people can follow me on Twitter as well. It's just at Adam Dorito. Uh, Rachel Brummer, she is actually starting a documentary on this series um, called Dark Saber, and it's about my experience at the Academy and the experience of many others involved in this case. And we're hoping that maybe, Andy, if this is uh, going to get some traction places, that if people want to learn more and get more in-depth about the case and the technicalities of it, you know, we might even start a podcast talking about the details and it's a good platform to spread information broadly for sure exactly um and if you want to email me if you have been involved in a similar situation or something has affected you whether it's from the academy or even on the active duty side uh, you can email us at darksaberproductions at gmail.com 
and Sabre is spelled S-A-B-R-E um, to represent the, you know, the Academy Sabre. Sabre, not Sabre. Sabre. Yeah, so <laughs> like I said, it's uh, we're hoping for some change. It's been a long 10 years, um, personally. I'm ready to get married, and you know we, we have 12 acres of land. We live on our own little homestead out there. We were going to drive the bug out rig up here, but we realized we would want to drive 17 hours to make sure we made it on time, right? And, uh, it's a long drive. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I worked in New Elfwood for years, driving it back from Texas and Wyoming and Pennsylvania and whatever else. It's, uh, you know, I, I am truly grateful for the people I've met over, over this uh, past 10 years. They have been a major influence on my life, and I believe it's made me a better person. And I'm hoping that when we do resolve this case, is that we're finally going to make a real difference in the military, maybe establish new law and precedent so that other people can ensure that when they come in to serve their country, when they take the oath that they are going to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, you know, that they are, those constitutional rights are going to be upheld. You know, my, my uh, 14th and 5th Amendment rights were violated. You know, my right to privacy, my right to due process, my right to self-incrimination. I took a note to defend the Constitution and although we understand that as members of the military, some of those protections don't apply in certain situations, right? But I would expect that those rights, that I had a right to a lawyer, that I had a right to due process, that I had a right to all of those things that we, we offer and in in, that are offered to you as an alien rights in the Constitution, is that those rights are going to be upheld to the members who are sworn to protect it. Yeah, I got to be honest with you, man. Like I said, it's going to take me a few days to wrap my head around this. That's an unbelievable experience that you just laid out i know and And i uh, hope that the podcast helps i hope that it helps bring attention and it gets scrutiny or oversight or whatever term people would use to impact it in a positive way so it helps so you can get some resolvement from it and drive your life forward instead of looking back at this for another 10 years you know it's you know when you go out in those long runs i don't run by the way oh yeah fucking hate running the army still made that i run so you know that's why i'm not in the army yeah well (laughs) i don't blame you um you know but some of the stories you know you've told like you know jumping tandem with that turp i was like yeah well that yeah that's a ride man you know smoke checking guys with javelins i'm like you know you know we, we do what we have to do you know but we would expect that when we serve our country we do the job that we're mandated to do that the military is also going to back us when we get out it shows the cracks in the bureaucracy. You know, people are treated unfairly by the military sometimes, and they are the ones who are often without the voice because the military is so much bigger, so much more powerful. It doesn't mean it's right, though. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, like I said, Andy, if it wasn't for you and taking time to read my email, you know, I don't think that this story was ever going to get told for maybe another 10 years. Like I said, man, I hope that it helps. So stay in contact with me. I'm curious to see how all of this resolves itself. Absolutely. And uh, once again, you guys can reach out to me, reach out to my legal team and us. And uh, like I said, let's make some real change that are going to protect our members of our military and make sure that this never happens again. I can't think of a better ending than that. Me either. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thank you again to Duke Cannon for supporting Cleared Hot. I love this company. Their soap is awesome. The solid cologne is awesome. Their body wash is awesome. They make good stuff. You're going to get 10% off of your entire order at DukeCannon.com when you use the promo code CLEAREDHOT. All one word, all uppercase. Plus free shipping on orders over $25. Like I mentioned at the beginning, 
I'm a huge, huge fan of working on your mental health. If you are curious or you're struggling or you want to talk to somebody, please go to betterhelp.com slash cleared hot. If you have a local option, pursue the local option. But if you feel like you might be limited, please check this service out. I don't think, regardless of things are going perfect in your life, that there's not a good time to talk to somebody. That objective, neutral third party is amazing. It's been incredibly helpful for me. And that is really all I have for the week. And for everybody listening and taking the time out to either listen or watch, I can't thank you enough for the support. Um, the only thing that I could potentially ask is for you to go on to Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast. Tell me what you like about it or what you don't like about it. Rate it for however many number of stars you think that it deserves. And I guess on top of that, another way that you could help would be to tell somebody about it. Help me spread the word. That's all I got for this week. See you guys next week. Well, actually, I'm not going to see you, but I'll be back next week.